My name's Rad, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Another boxerific episode of Fan Holes Transformers Tuesdays, where we like to talk about Transformers all the time, every time. And I am Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. And of course, I am joined tonight by one of my fellow Transformer enthusiasts, Mike, on the show. But we've also brought along a very special guest over from the Fire and Water Network. It is the irredeemable Shag who has joined us tonight. Hey, what's up, man? Not much, man. Actually, I prefer to be called the irredeemable Shagatron for this oh, episode, okay. if that's okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can, we can, we can roll it back. We can just do the <laughs> irredeemable Shagatron. Oh, that's good. I like yeah, that. Yeah. In fact, I want that to introduce me on every show I'm ever on from now on. So if you don't mind just appearing on every show and doing that live, I, that'd be great. Thank like, you so much. I'm like, Mike has me do the the outro every time, whether we're hosting or not. So I, I don't see why that's a problem. I can just there you hang go. out there you for like the three hours and then at the end of it, it'll just be like, Shagatron. You could be my Andy Richter. That's perfect. I like yeah. it. So thank, thank you so much for having me. I'm really appreciated. I, I've, I've really enjoyed your show. I, I am sort of a Transformers I, neophyte. Is, I don't know if that's the right word or not. I mean, I've been following it for 30 plus years, but I'm not as deeply invested in it. So it'll be interesting to contrast some of our thoughts and opinions. And I'll tell you guys and you'd be like, what do you mean you don't know the difference between Wheeljack and the other medic guy who's in it? Red Alert or whatever name you can't remember. <laughs> yeah, no, I think this is this is. Like, my master plan, my master Megatron machination plan behind inviting you on was because I don't, I don't remember when, when I heard you discuss it. I don't know if it was in the comments section or it was just an offhanded comment in one of the podcasts that I was listening to that you were on. But mm -hmm. at some point, I think you mentioned what we're going to discuss tonight, which is the Dreamwave Generation 1, the first miniseries, which is, you know, like, kind of like... I, I remember your reaction to it because you kind of had the reaction to it when I came to it in 2002 where you're like, oh, that was really cool. And it had sweet art. Right. And you were just kind of like, you know, woo, like yep. like generation I'm, one. I'm still I'm still there, by the way. Yeah, yeah, you're still there. So 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 I was kind of like I, I sort of went through this ebb and flow where the more information I got exposed to with with sort of how the sausage was made, like <laughs> I, I, I kind of was like, oh, my God, like what? Like, I, I just didn't realize there was all this kind of drama and behind-the-scenes stuff that that was that, that basically made Dreamwave and that entire run kind of infamous among the Transformers oh. fan community and everything. And since you are since you are a self-described neophyte, like, I, I, I sort of wanted to get someone who was kind of like, woohoo, about the, the miniseries, and then, and then sort of slowly kind of dole out crush, little cr bits crush, of information. Crush my spark? Yeah, yeah, like, well, no, I mean, just kind of, I'm just kind of curious what your reaction is ultimately going to be, because I, I know you have experience as a retailer, and I, I think, 
I, I feel like this series is like it exemplifies like I, I mean I know we're gonna get into it and talk about it in detail, but it's kind of like the reason why this was something that blew people away was because in two thousand two, like a Transformers comic was never the number one comic on the whole diamond market thing. It was never at number one until this 2002 series. But then at the same time, like if you kind of skew the numbers and look at it, like there's kind of these famous quotes where they're like, well, the numbers that the Dreamwave number one was getting praised for were the same numbers that the Marvel Transformers comic series got canceled for. (laughs) <laughs> and do you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. The, yeah, sure, like the, sure. the numbers that comics used to make, the the amount of copies they used to sell, sell was so astronomical back in the day when we were collecting them, and even way before that. But by the time you got to 2002, like the the direct market has been so, you know, I I mean it gets smaller and smaller, you know, as 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 each you know year passes and everything. So that that's something that I just always found amusing, where it was like this series was kind of heralded as, well, great. It's going to bring like new readers and all these new people are coming to buy this series and, and we'll expose them to comics and that kind of thing. But then at the same time, you're kind of like scratching your you know chin kind of going, well, wait a minute. Like these numbers were ho- like Jim Shooter would have canceled a Marvel title for having <laughs> the same numbers that this series gets praised for. But now, see, I, yeah. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to jump in there though because I'm going to play devil's advocate because you know really yeah, I totally get what you're right, saying. You're absolutely right, but you got to put it in the frame of context of 2002, man. It was a great selling book. Yeah, it yeah, was very yeah. popular. So while the numbers stunk compared to the 1980s numbers, still for 2002 it was great. No, so no, no, again, I, I'm going to con- I'm going to continue to be the cheerleader for Dreamwave until you rip the spark out of my chest <laughs> and crush it in your hands. So, so that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I I don't disagree with that. It's because I, I mean I was there. I remember when when everybody was super excited and we were all kind of coming in and buying like a lot of these sort of revived properties because there hadn't mm-hmm. been like a GI Joe Devils do yep. or a, a you know Transformers Dreamwave comic in a really long time. So I. I mean, I legitimately remember being excited about it and, and, and buying every issue when it came out and everything like that. So this was this was something that was a big deal to me. I I, I would go so far as to say is this series like jump started the big like nostalgia boom of like the mm. like early 2000s, like at least in like comic books or science fiction. Like after this, I feel like everything was getting remade for a while. Yeah, because th- this kind of led down that the whole sort of snowball down the mountain of like masters of the universe and thundercats mm-hmm. and like all these different properties that kind of got brought back up into the limelight and everything. Oh no, I was just say it, it had been just enough years from the, like you said, Mike, the nostalgia thing to kick in. Absolutely. So everything that was outrageously popular in the eighties just came flooding back. And yeah, I think I didn't, I didn't check the dates on it, but I think you're right. I think transformers was the first one to sort of get that ball rolling for comics. Yeah, definitely. Like, and uh, like, I, I, as Derek might have hinted, like, I'm, I, I tend to have a generally negative view of this era of Transformers comics. However, like, to say some positive stuff, this series is what got me back into comics in that that year. Like, okay. I, I quit comics. I thought forever in like 1998. I was. Like, you know, I was a teenager. I was like, okay, like comic, like the, the Howard Mackey, John Byrne reboot of Spider-Man, like, like (laughs) sucked so, it sucked so bad for me that like, I just had to drop it. And I was like, I'm done with comics forever now. Like 
that's it. Like, I'm a big boy now. No more comics. <laughs> and then, yeah, but fast forward to 2000 and I think it's two. Yeah, it's like my senior year of high school. I, I hear that Transformers comics are coming back. And I say, well, it's Transformers, so I have to go buy it. So I remember I have vivid memories of me and like one of my best friends zooming home from high school, like going to the comic book store. Like like it was like the new Transformers, like number one is out like today. Like and there were four copies left on the shelf, like two of uh, two of each cover. And uh, I was like, which cover are you going to get? And he was like, I kind of want one of each. And I was like, I do, too. And like we (laughs) bought like the last like four copies of it. But like and yeah, so so like I was like super hyped for this like back then. And this this got me back into like this hooked me again. And look, it hasn't let go of me again. So, well, you know, it's it's also probably worth mentioning the art was just such and we're going to hear all about Pat Lee. And again, I'm going to be in a fetal position crying. But um, this was such a leap forward in art style because, you know, the Marvel book, the original Marvel book, at least had been. Pretty standard. You know, it didn't vary that much throughout the series. It kind of had a house style. Then it goes away. And then you get Generation, was it Generation 2, I think is what it was called, or whatever. Yeah. Which was very 90s extreme yeah. you know, kind of style. And then it goes away. So then when we get this 2002 book, it's like, oh, my gosh, this looks like something coming out from Image. This looks like, you know, the hot new artist. Oh, my gosh, this is totally different. So I think that's part of the reason that people loved it so much is, like, it's the property we love from nostalgia, but with a very modern, cool art style. Yeah, and I think I think if you come at it from the aspect of like if all you remember from the Marvel comic series is like Jose Delvo art, which was good and and serviced the story, but it very much like followed kind of the toy designs and the mm-hmm. designs on the boxes and everything like that. And then you go to something like you know you see these essentially image style poster images of like all these different characters and like, you know, in this, in this series that you had all those different inserts where they, you know, you put them all together and it made this huge, cool collage and everything. And people were like super excited. Like, I I think what I remember was before this even came out, like wizard was already hyping the crap out of it. Cause I think they had some kind of Pat Lee two page spread where they're like, guess, mm-hmm. guess what they should make, you know, like they should make this. Yes. And then, and then when they finally did, everybody was like, Oh, Oh boy, like everybody was just kind of, you know, super excited. And I remember like I I pretty much I graduated college like for like a I don't know, a couple of years already and I was out in LA trying to be like a working actor and stuff like that. And what I usually did was I went to this comic shop on Overland and we always called it Overland, but it was called Comics Inc at the time. I think it still technically exists but it's not owned by the same people and it has a different name and everything but it was kind of like not too far away from like the sony studios and everything and it was a really nice shop it was always well stocked the 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 people that ran it at the time were really friendly i was friends with like one of the guys most of the guys that did the checkout stands and then you know i was i was pretty good with the owner and everything like that but i do remember like specifically like coming in there and i remember it being interesting because like the the way the store was set up you knew where everything was like you knew, Oh, if I go to the right side of the store, this is where all the new Marvel books are. If I go to the left side of the store, this is where all the DC books are. If if I go a little further down to the left, this is where like kind of all the, the manga and independent type books are going to be. And then right in the front, was like mainly to attract kids where it was like, oh, okay, you had, you know, your Archies and your, you know, I don't know, like Johnny DC books and like all these kind of, 
you know, sort of for all ages type thing. And I remember it being funny because when I first went in there to get that, I was like, oh, it's, you know, it was with like the Johnny DC stuff, which is kind of mm. funny given the content, you know, but I was like, <laughs> I was like, they didn't quite know yet where to put it, you know, because it was like sure. to, to them, like kind of kind of like us, you know, you might still be kind of thinking of the, you know, the Marvel licensed tie-in comics and everything. And, and, and that was more kind of all ages, whereas this was more kind of, you know, coming off of the whole, you know, extreme studios type vibe where it was a little more, you know, imagey than, than all ages or Johnny DC or something like that, or, or Marvel age or what, you know, they kind of had all those books like in the same shelf or whatever. But, but I do remember kind of going there and, and getting it and being super excited, but I'm kind of curious, like where, where were you like in your comics kind of career when, when this came out, Shag? Like, what were you, like, reading? And, like, how did you, like, was this kind of, like, the same thing where you saw the images and thought, oh, that's super cool and checked it out? Or, like, how did you kind of come to it? Well, why don't I give you my Transformers history first? That'll, okay. that'll kind of lead right into that. Because, I mean, everyone who listens to the show already knows y'all's history. So I'll just run through mine fairly quickly. Um, the first thing I ever did with Transformers, I picked up the Marvel Comics issue number one off the stands. Um, I don't know what led me to it, whether it was just that awesome cover or what. But I picked up number one right out of the gate, you know, May 8, 1984. Loved it. Stuck. I only stuck with it for a while. Um, somewhere probably around six or seven issues actually believe it or not that's i think that's all i read uh that issue number five the cover was shockwave after that i didn't need anything else that was the most amazing cover of all time as far as i'm concerned <laughs> and then i started watching the cartoon which i actually had to message derek this week and go wait a minute are you telling me the comic book came out before the cartoon he's like yes yeah. so apparently i'm the only one who didn't know that so watch the cartoon of course watch that uh for you know those first several seasons saw the movie uh the animated movie and you know and uh, now for me as far as the toys go my parents were cheap they had gone through the star wars action figure phase they were not getting back into that and i went to the store and asked him like mom can i have this optimus prime and it was like i don't know what 25 dollars back then who knows and they're like are you freaking kidding me no so i got some of the mini cars was what i had for my transformers i had four of the mini cars i had brawn huffer cliff jumper and windjammer and Cliff Jumper was the little red Porsche, so I used to pretend he was Bumblebee spray painted red, because um, we couldn't find the Bumblebee anywhere. But that was my those were my Transformers toys. That's all I ever had. And um, now, Derek, you'll like this because you, you know I love Who's Who, right? I, yeah, in fact, yeah. I do a podcast about the Who's Who DC comic. We we go through issue by issue. Well, I loved the Transformers Universe comics from Marvel, right on. which are basically Who's Who. Those were so awesome. Like yeah. I lived for we, those things, you know? We we outright swiped your format and did like did <laughs> yeah. those as as like uh shows like years and years ago. I remember. I remember yeah. you, you messaged me about that, Derek. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so some friends of mine and I we even homebrewed our own role playing game. I mean it wasn't much of a role playing game, Gus, but uh based on the cards, the back because he had a bunch oh, of okay. transformers. With all like, so we the had the back of the cards with the with the numbers, yeah. so we would like roll. It basically was just like I attack you, I attack you, and we just rolled on dice, and we figured out some math system to be based all on those numbers, and we were just that, you know, that excited. And then I kind of grew out of it because you know I just you get older. Um, and then I did, when Generation Two came out, I was actually working at the comic book store, and that cover came in. If I remember, it wasn't like a gatefold of yeah. like a, a yeah. high gloss yep. uh, Optimus face. Mm-hmm. So I bought that. And I'm like, wow, that cover's amazing. I love Transformers, and I opened the comic, and that was about the end of it. I was like, oh, and didn't care for. I tried. I really did. Sorry, guys. Uh, so I, I didn't keep going with that. And I was kind of out. And Beast Wars came out, and I'm like, nah, this isn't for me. But then Beast Machines came out. And I can't tell you why it clicked with me, but damn, I love that cartoon. 
I loved that cartoon so freaking much. I watched every episode. I made sure I got up a Saturday morning too far too early in the morning for me at that age and watched it every week. Um, I went to McDonald's and bought the Happy Meal toys for Beast Machines. That really re-energized my love for Transformers. <laughs> Which is what led me to buying the Dreamway comics, because I loved Beast Machines and couldn't stand uh, the the screen cartoons, Robots in Disguise, Armada, Energon. Mm. Didn't care for those very much. But then uh, the the Dreamwave comics came out, which was like, wait a minute, you know, I loved Beast Machines, got me re excited. But boy, this is the originals, man. This is G one. So I got really excited. That's that's why I was so passionate about it because I the nostalgia thing it kicked off. I was in love with Transformers again, so I love that comic. So as far as that, what I was buying at that point in two thousand two. Um, I was mainly a DC guy, so I was buying um, you know the Superman books, the Titans books. Um, gosh, I can't remember specifically what other books, Derek. I didn't prepare a list for that, but th- those are kind of you know some of the example stuff, you know, traditional DC superhero stuff. Have you and seen? One, one th- have Have you seen? There's a because before the license actually went to Dreamwave, there was a mm-hmm. period where Hasbro was shopping the license around. And at one point, they really I, I don't know if they really thought it was going to work out this way, but at one point it was under consideration that DC was going to publish Transformers comics. Wow. And, like, there's actually, if you look online, there's actually a really cool image by Phil Jimenez of, <gasps> like, the Transformers with a lot of the DC characters. That's like such a kind of, badass yeah. image, yeah. And, 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 then, and then for your for your purposes, for Fire and Water, like, my favorite, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you'll know the names of the characters, because I know you're saying, like, Wheeljack and whoever the other medic guys are, but... <laughs> But for your purposes, Ratchet. his name is Ratchet. I, I'm like, I'm like, for the purposes of Rob Kelly, the the boxes are mm-hmm. underwater Decepticon boxes, and so you <laughs> see this cool image of like Aquaman like facing off against the Seacons, which are basically <gasps> like all these kind of evil underwater Decepticon combiner guys and everything like that. So basically, the evil underwater boxes are like with Aquaman, and it's like really cool. And like, there's all these kind of images in this like. Oct- it's Optim- Optimus, Optimus with a get a Green yeah. Lantern ring and like all, all yeah. kinds of cool stuff like that. Oh, uh, now Optimus with a Green Lantern ring sounds familiar. Like yeah. maybe I've seen that somewhere. But the rest of it, that sounds so cool. I'm gonna have to look. And Phil Jimenez would be perfect for that book because yeah. he can draw yeah. people and he can draw machines. I was reading a, a Phil Jimenez comic tonight. Oh, that would be amazing. And uh, Mike, if you don't know the story, or at least for those of you at home, I'm on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and my co-host, I, I, I sort of represent Firestorm. My co-host Rob Kelly, my hetero life mate, uh, represents Aquaman. And Rob just doesn't have time for Transformers. He actively hates them and cracks <laughs> jokes on the show. He'd be like, oh, don't make me talk about Transformers. It's like this box is hitting this other box, and then they transform into, like, I don't know, a picnic basket or something. I don't know. The boxes <laughs> are talking to boxes. They make no sense to me. He doesn't care about them at all. So uh, that <laughs> I'm like, I'm like Rob, they are underwater boxes that are not related to the kingdom of Atlantis. It's awesome Aquaman <laughs> fighting cool undersea bad boxes it's really cool i'm gonna find that image and send it to him so. <laughs> <laughs> so i i was enjoying the dreamwave stuff i you know i read the gen one book uh the two mini series and the ongoing I, somewhere i petered out with the ongoing i don't know why life i guess in general um but you know the war within was freaking great i yeah, love that yeah. i i did buy some of the transformer gi joe crossovers even though i don't know that i ever actually read them because i i I would I would like let them stack up, and the next thing I knew, I'm like, how many series of this are they doing? Because it just seemed to keep coming. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they keep did, coming. They did keep coming. I was gonna ask, like, did this mainly stick with you with sort of the the original properties? Like, I know you said you weren't fond of the Armada cartoon, but the actual comic 
was kind of a different animal. So I'm just curious, did that ever roll over into? I I did buy it. Uh, I bought the. I didn't. I I don't know how long I stuck with it. I don't have all my comics are in a garage in a box. So I I can't even or. 49 boxes to be exact, but uh, so I, I didn't dig them all out, but I stuck actually with Armada, which I guess v- eventually became Energon. I stuck with those for a while, and I felt like, even though I, I, I read them for a bit, and then after a while I was just buying them because I felt like I should just support them. Mm. So I, I didn't even know how far I read, but I definitely read probably the first 10 or so of them. Uh, I remember the art was amazing. I knew that. The art was like, wow. But just that whole the story just didn't do much for me. It just didn't grab me. And then uh, then I lost touch with the Transformers after that, and I, I'm one of those people that actually enjoyed the first Michael Bay movie. Is it a good movie? Not necessarily, but I do enjoy quite a bit about it. And, hey, it's got Megan Fox. She's pretty hot. So so that's kind of my history of Transformers, and that gets you to where I was with the Dreamwave books. Cool, cool, very cool. Just just, just curious, Shag. Um, yeah. did, did you say you haven't seen Beast Wars, like, at all, or...? Oh, I didn't go back to that. I'm sorry. I was supposed to go back. I, I should have. Uh, so I watched Beast Machine. Like, I started watching Beast Wars and went, blah, this is not for me. And the, admittedly, that first season's a little rough with the animation. So I was like, Ugh. And then I watched Beast Machines and fell in love with it. And then I actually went back and watched quite a bit okay. of I think I got uh, through I, two and a half seasons or so of it and really enjoyed it. It's just I needed Beast Machines to make me willing to watch it. <laughs> I, like I, that just kind of confirms a theory of mine. I, I was going to uh, joke that. It's like, it's like you can only enjoy beast machines. If you've never seen beast wars, <laughs> like, really? like, tra- like <laughs> a lot of transformers fans do not like beast machines because they think it invalidates a lot of characterization, like from beast wars. Okay. And like, I kind of fall in that camp and like, I like I don't want to get too far in it into it because that's outside like the purview of this podcast. But yeah, like I it just because when you said you went and you loved Beast Machines, it kind of like validates a theory of mine where I I always kind of say, like, I think Beast Machines is a good science fiction cartoon, but it's a lousy fucking sequel to Beast Wars. (laughs) Yeah, like like let me let me talk shag for like two minutes. Like, okay, to us, Beast Wars is like Bwahaha JLI. And Beast okay. Machines is kind of like collateral damage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it's not bad necessarily, but you, you're just you're you're or, or like you know Infinite Crisis or sure like it has that, its place. They just they don't kind of gel together very well. You know, the two tastes that don't taste great together. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. I appreciate you dumbing it down to my own language. That was, that was very <laughs> kind of you. <laughs> Small words. It was perfect. I appreciate that. <laughs> So, and just going back to my original toys, Braun, I think Braun genuinely, my, my little mini car I had, affected my growth pattern because I, I did, now I don't own a Land Rover, but I own a Jeep. And I sort of attribute that possibly to me buying Braun as a kid. Nice. I love Braun. Hey, awesome. Yeah, we're all Braun fans here. We love awesome. Braun. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I, I feel like I started out with the the you know mini tapes and mini bots myself like it's like you know the first taste is cheap kid but then right, then, exactly. they get, then they get yeah. you on the bigger <laughs> higher end items you know like that kind of thing yeah so i feel like we all kind of started out with the kind of the smaller you know the smaller price end items and stuff like that or like was... you know mike, mike talks about like theories and stuff and i was always kind of like the the city bots that came out i always noticed like even in my circle of friends we all got the cheaper price point city bots like (laughs) parents weren't going to go out and spend the hundred bucks on like trypticon and fortress maximus but they were all willing to spend like the 30 40 bucks on like scorponok and metroplex so i was like oh and and now that i look back on it in hindsight i was like of course that's why we all had metroplex and scorponok instead of fortress maximus (laughs) 
Well, I have a question about the Dreamwave because you know I, I just I reread it for the show, gotten getting ready, and you know again I'm not an expert. So what continuity does this really pick up on? Like, is it because clearly it doesn't you know go as far as the the, the animated movie because you know we don't have right. Rodimus Prime and all that stuff. Um, is is it based on maybe a first half of the Marvel series? Is it based on just season one of the of the cartoon? Like, where would you say this picks up continuity wise? It, it is its own continuity, basically. Like, it takes a lot of elements from the original cartoon and the Marvel comic, but it's basically, like, its own. If you're a, if you're a huge fan of Transformers, then that gives... Like, I remember when, like, the New 52 came out and, like, a lot of people were complaining, like, oh, they're going to, you know, crisis us, you know, they're going to wipe out all this history and stuff. <laughs> all Transformers fans are like, yeah, big babies. Like, we get a new continuity every fucking year, so stop your crying. Like... You guys, you know, it's funny that was I was going to mention that because that is exactly like you guys and Godzilla fans have it really hard because every time there's a new thing, it's an entirely new continuity of those characters. It's like yep. it's got to be really like how many versions of Optimus are there now? I mean, 20, 30. Yeah. I mean, it's it's got to be hard to keep track. Well, and then yeah. and then and then there's the the official lines where they kind of say, oh, this is all in the same continuity. And you're like, Pfft. Please, like, no, it isn't. Yeah, like you know, like right. uh, the the war for Cybertron video games in the Prime cartoon. Like, fuck you guys. That's not in the same <laughs> it's continuity. Not. It's not. <laughs> but they but they say like, oh, this is the aligned continuity, and it's like, well, it doesn't align very well then, because you know, yeah. So so even within its own kind of continuity, sometimes there's there's. I mean, this kind of takes from. I mean, I I would say I would say it's like a. I don't know. Mike can can slap me if I'm wrong, but I I, I would say it's kind of like a, a sixty forty or seventy thirty split, like because it's like it it leans heavier towards to me the cartoon continuity, like like if you were yeah. to try to imagine what the backstory for the Dreamwave continuity was, like I would imagine because you're dealing with Spike and Sparkplug in terms of the backstory, like mm-hmm. Spike was in the Marvel comics, but not until way later, not until the Headmasters and all this other stuff. And then what's funny though, is like, that's something that I noticed, you know, when I was first reading it, cause I was desperate to figure out how things lined up and linked in and, you know, kind of like you with your notebook, right. And your, you know, Legion, you know, names <laughs> and everything. Like yes, for me, yes. it's like one of those things where I was like, I desperately wanted to know, like, cause there used to be like websites and everything back in the, dark ages of angel fire and everything where they had these like <laughs> they, they had these like timeline continuity <laughs> chronology things where they tried to like squeeze in like every origin of the transformers so it was like you'd go with like the marvel comic and they'd be like yes primus and unicron fought and then you know primus became unicron and then the quintessence from the cartoons moved in and they said they created the transformers but they really didn't because it's really primus and it's like the, these guys were trying to like line up every single like different continuity together and like that's kind of like i I feel like that's kind of a little bit what what the dreamwave thing was because you'll notice like they mentioned buster by name and i'm like well buster's marvel comics you know so you're like Mm. oh you're like oh this is this is a nod to the marvel comics but then you know you're kind of like looking at the way the characters interact and how they're kind of designed and and set up and everything and you're thinking well if all humanity is fighting with the Autobots in this backstory in a, you know, final fatal battle with the Decepticons on Earth, you're like, well, that's not really so much the Marvel continuity, because the Marvel continuity, humanity just kind of, you know, they, they were always kind of suspicious of any robots, you know, regardless of what faction they were from. So it's like you seem to have 
kind of shared kind of kind of like that like TMNT movie from like 2007 where it kind of you know I think that tried to pluck all the best elements of different turtles kind of Mm -hmm. backstories and and different continuities and everything and and make their own thing but yet it it, I thought that was pretty well done I I don't know that this is exactly the same thing but I think they were the same attempt I think to try to make some kind of homogenized like continuity out of whatever people could remember so it's like if it if it grabs the guy who read the old marvel comics that remembers the name buster then it's going to try to grab that guy but if your guy who all you've seen is the cartoons it's like well it's going to try to grab you with you know combiners and devastata and superion and you know all these different guys like fighting together and everything like that but I guess you may yeah, yeah. You, you may have just answered my question that I was going to ask. But let me let me let me pose one to you. That in the world of fandom, there's like two different kinds of fans, and usually I break it down between Star Wars and Star Trek. Like Star Wars fans are really fanatical about making the whole thing fit on a timeline, like you were just discussing. They want every single comic, audio drama, you know, whatever. It all has to fit on the Star Wars timeline. Star Trek fans are the opposite. They're like, huh. Yeah, we got our stuff, and oh look, William Shatner's doing his crap in the corner that we're just going to ignore. We're going to pretend that didn't happen. And they're a lot more laid back in the Star Trek. I'm like, yeah, you want to write something about Klingons? We don't give a shit. Whatever. We're just going to not pay any attention to it. And so they don't really get tied up with that kind of thing. So would you you describe the people with their Angel Fire and their Geo Cities websites? But would you say the majority of Transformers fans are like that, where they want to have everything on a timeline, or they're all like, yeah, we got 67 different versions. Who cares anymore? I I mean, I'll let Mike answer this too, but my answer would be that Transformers fans are Star Wars fans that have Star Trek Expanded Universe material up the wazoo, and it has driven them completely batshit bonkers insane. Like that's that that would be my answer, but I, I don't know what Mike's answer would be. Yeah, I, I think there is too much material, especially nowadays. There's like too much material for you to even care. And and on top of that, it's like we have like a multiverse theory now. It's like Simon Furman like pushed that whole like, you know, all Transformers continuities are part of the same like multiverse tree. And, you know, Unicron can like jump through different dimensions and Unicron's the same in every dimension. And oh, wow. like, yeah, like they, they he was pushing that theory for a long time and then they kind of debunked it. So now it's like, you know, and then they had the whole aligned continuity where they were trying to like make everything fit together, which obviously as we said, does not work. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I I think I tend to go with Derek where it's like, we'd like it to be all like lined up, but there's no possible way it can be. So we just kind of have to accept it. And I I don't, I think unlike the Star Trek fandom that you described as, Oh, we'll just ignore like all the, you you know, William Shatner ghost Mm -hmm. pen novels that don't make sense to us. Like I I think the Transformers community, they they don't acknowledge, they, they don't like, you know, just kind of let, let, let things, you know, fall where they may, like, they, they notice the William Shatner thing, and we'll spend, like, hours, like, ripping apart, like, you know, it's like, how can William Shatner drop kick a Borg, or, you know, wh- whatever the problem is, you know what I mean, like, that, that kind of thing, where it's like, you know, it's like, if William Shatner blew up the homeworld, and it's connected to V'ger, like, like, we'll just spend hours kind of, you know, and, you know, basically agonizing over it, I think. So. What I think is funny is you're actually citing real stuff from Star Trek. You know what you're talking about there, sir. Yeah, so you yeah. are familiar with the expanded universe yes, Shatner stuff. Yes, I, I understand all that stuff. I do understand it. I know it doesn't line up for shit, and neither does a lot of Transformers continuity. So, yeah. 
Well, we'll just say until all Transformers ones, uh, until all Transformer fans, until all are one, we'll just say that. How's yeah. that? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, so, Mike, you wanna you wanna get into the nitty gritty with the actual Generation One miniseries, which also goes by the name Prime Directive in the trade paperback. Yes. All right. Well, yes. Yeah. Let me. Uh, I guess we'll uh, start off with the. Uh, I don't know, Shag, when you reread this, did you re- reread the preview story, too? I sure did. All right, then we'll start with that. I never got my – I think I got my hands on this, like, a year or two after it got released because, like, it was, like, gone by the time, like, I even knew it existed. But they released, like, a, a Dreamwave released a preview story where it had, like, a – I think it was only, like, six or seven pages of G1 and then a six or seven page, like, Armada story where they were like, yo, we got the license and check it out. It's going to be fucking awesome. So, like, yeah. So, and this was released in March – on March 6, 2002. So uh, this is this is the eight. I think it's eight pages. Yeah. And this is the this is the summary, which I'm just going to shamelessly rip off TF Wiki because like I I think I told these guys before this podcast started, I, I have total confidence in their ability to write coherent and grammar correct summaries. So I've, I've, yeah. I've read them. They're 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 grammar coherent. I can totally back yeah. you up on that. <laughs> And like uh, I should before I do any summaries, I should say like this whole like issue zero through six, like it's written by Chris Saracini and penciled allegedly by Pat Lee. Wait a minute. You're starting to show your hand here. I don't know what's going. Derek's been teasing me all week saying, well, Shag, like he, he keeps coming within an inch of telling me the story. Uh, and I don't know it yet. But now you're starting to show your hand. So be careful there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like I, well, I guess we'll get into that a little later, but let's let's just go with like Pat Lee had a lot of assistants helping him draw this uh, this like series, yeah. And we we to this day we do not know exactly to the extent of that. And I was telling Derek before the show, even I was like rereading after rereading this today, I was like. Man, like the second half of the series has a like very subtle like stylistic change in the art. And I was kind of like, I wonder, like, I bet Pat Lee only drew, like, half of the series. Like, and I, I don't know, like, yeah, like I, I'm probably tipping my hand here. But let's just say that Pat Lee's name is on the main artist credit, like, for this entire <laughs> series. And then we'll we'll maybe dissect what that means, like, later. But Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the summary for the preview story. Lazarus and Mr. Rotzenberg walk in the Arctic. Rotzenberg complains about the conditions and the fact that he does not even know what they are going to see. Lazarus asks for patience, but Rotzenberg still complains, finally putting his hand on Lazarus's shoulder to ask if he's listening. Lazarus bends Rotzenberg's hand back, forcing him to the ground. Lazarus does most of the talking now, asking if Rotzenberg believes in second chances. He makes allusions to the Transformers, how great it would have been to be allied with them, and how much people would pay to align themselves with them. Rotzenberg remains clueless. They finally reach the excavation site and see Soundwave partially revealed. Rotzenberg asks who he should make his checkout to. So yeah, this this was like the preview story to get you, you know, excited about uh, Transformers. And there is actually a Transformer on the very last page. Like, so, yeah, like, uh, I, I know I, I know it's a preview story and stuff, but, like, that stuff like that always kind of pisses me off. Like, I, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I, I paid to see Transformers, not like a bunch of, like, a two idiots walking through the snow or whatever. <laughs> and 
I don't know. They, but, they um, give you lots and lots and lots of pictures of them and sketches that are done apparently allegedly by Padley. And then you, yeah. get, the, uh, and then you get the Armada story, which is full of Transformers. So quit yeah. your bitching. Good Lord. Yeah. You Transformers <laughs> fans are whining. We are. We are. We totally are. I, I have nothing bad to say about the Armada story. Like, but <laughs> this, yeah, this one, um, okay, there's a huge, like, continuity disconnect between this and the first issue like just to start us off like lazarus talks like the transformers weren't like public knowledge and like no one knew them or ever talked to them or anything yet when we go to issue one it's very clear that like you know the transformers teamed up with humanity and like you know had a giant final battle at the decepticon so like I feel like their plans either changed in between this and the first issue or something, but I I, I don't know. That's I guess maybe that's you can kind of dismiss that, but like I, I don't know. I just noticed that this rereading this this time around. No, you're not wrong because it actually kind of flows throughout the whole series. Because later on, when in j- dipping ahead a bit, but when there's the bidding auction for Megatron and stuff like that, it feels like it's a little bit there too. It's almost like. Remember when Star Wars came out and they said that, you know, the, the Jedis were a myth. Everyone's like, well, I don't know. What are these mythical Jedis? A lot of people didn't believe in them. And then when you get the prequels, you find out, like, what? That was just 18 years ago? Are you effing kidding me? Seriously? Yeah. Everyone thinks it's a myth after 17 years? So it's sort of the same thing here, which is, like, the Transformers have been gone, like, only, what, three years, I think is what it was. Yeah, it's like 1999, like, they say. Yeah. Yeah. They had fallen into myth, practically, you know, in three years. And it's like, really? Everyone just kind of forgot these giant effing robots were fighting all over their cities? Okay. So I, I agree with you there. There's a bit of a disconnect in that, yeah. I'm like, Mr. Ratzenberg is new money. He, he, he has no idea about <laughs> Transformers. He's like, I'll just, I'll just look to spend my money on whatever, man. But, yeah, I, I don't – like – I, it's it's hard to disconnect myself from like because there there was a certain aspect of this where I, I remember liking the art when I originally saw it and and not knowing all the kind of like I said grisly details about how the sausage was made like I was excited to see Soundwave and mm-hmm. I, I thought I mean at this point in my I guess my my fandom I guess th- this was a point where I was exposed enough to manga and anime and fully embraced and accepted it. And I think a lot of the popularity of this take on Transformers, I mean, I think a lot of the human characters do have a very anime influence. Oh yeah. So I, I think in that sense, I was definitely of the right mindset to appreciate this at the time. Like I I was kind of like, Oh, even even the new money millionaire who's kind of a goofy dude in glasses kind of looks cool. Like the, the way that they kind of portray them and everything. And then of course the, the awesome snowstorm and everything, which was probably not drawn by superstar Pat Lee is, is, is very believable and everything. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it was that... drawn. It was drawn by his legion of underpaid ghosts artists. Well, you know, you know what? Can we can we just talk about that? Because 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 before we you know totally shatter everything, and I'll I'll throw Shag a bone. Like I mean, it does credit Edwin Garcia as the background artist. So I mean, I I know there's other people involved other than just those two guys that did art on this. But like, I I, I kind of find it interesting that like they they weren't exactly 
trying to cover it up right up front or whatever. Like, I, it, it's funny because I kind of remember before this, like, the things I remember Pat Leon was, I don't know if you guys remember or not, but there was this, like, horrible period where, like, Punisher had, like, angel wings and everything. And Oh, like, was that Pat Lee? Well, no, it, not that particular series, but, like, there's mm-hmm. a mini series where that version of the Punisher teams up with Wolverine. And, oh, okay. And, and Pat Lee worked on that. And before mm. that, he worked on a lot of, like, Extreme Studios books. Like, I, mm. I want to say, like, you know, like, Glory and Evangeline and, like, those kind of, you know, they're, 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 he did, he did, you know, art on a lot of those books. So he is kind of coming from the the Rob Liefeld school of, of you know. Dickery? <laughs> well, like, like, like the, the whole kind of. I mean, he's definitely selling himself, and 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 I think similar to Rob Liefeld, there's probably, you know, Changa pieces you can pull out, and then the whole thing comes kind of crumbling down, I guess, if you if you, <laughs> if you stare at it too long, you know. Yeah. Right. I, I will say that it's it's it does like these early first issues. It does this. This is when I say like Pat Lee is still giving a shit basically because like there is a like once once you hit like those Armada issues he drew and like like maybe the second like G one miniseries like you can start to see like the sloppiness a lot more. Unless it wasn't him drawing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah but like, it's like you can kind of see the Rob Liefeld influence sometimes. Now, speaking specifically to the preview again, just real quick, coming back, telling Mike why he's wrong. Um, first of all, on the cover, you get Optimus right there, bro. So you want your, <laughs> you want your, you want your boxes. There's your boxes right on the cover. Uh, that's, that's, so, that's false advertisement, though. That box never appears within the issue. It is a preview. <laughs> the whole point of this is a taste test. So you go, ooh, this has me excited. And, dude, it worked on me. First of all, I enjoyed the conversation between those two. I actually kind of enjoyed that banter. You know, I like, I like, good, I like good banter, and I felt like there was some good banter there. But it, gets, it, you build, there's, it builds up, and it builds up, and then you get the sound wave. You know, if you're going to unveil someone, sound wave's not a pretty good one to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or shockwave. I'm, I'm just saying, shockwave. Ever, ever since cover number five, I'm telling you, everything's shockwave for me. But... Um, Anyway, that, that's a huge, that's a great reveal. And again, you got to put it in the context of 2002. You know, we have lived through the, you know, the Generation Two era, which was brief and no one even remembers. Uh, then we lived through Beast Wars. We lived through Beast Machines. I mean, the G1 Transformers were a memory at this point. They were, they were history. They were gone. They were forgotten. So the very fact that we got to see the G1 characters, even if it was just for a cover and one panel, it was that damn exciting. So I'm okay with this. I guess I, I guess I have a different perspective just because, like, I love G2. Like, I absolutely adore Generation 2, even though it lasted for only 12 issues and, uh, like, what, like two years, Derek, of toys, maybe? Yeah, like, yeah. And most mm. of them were just, like, recolors and stuff, and they were, like, wacky 90s, like, eco-friendly recolors and all that. <laughs> but, like, I'll uh, say, I've got your back on the comic. I, I don't have your back on the fluorescent colored toys. <laughs> the wacky, like, Brian, <laughs> Brian would have my back on the crazy-ass, like, would. Alley he- Viper, like, eco warrior color schemes and whatever yeah but now i I was just gonna say like the g2 comic continued the story of the g1 like marvel comic Hmm, so technically like like i was still like that was still g1 basically and then beast wars like had a ton of g1 references so like g1 never really left for me basically it was in the background but beast wars even had references to that g2 comic i mean yeah, technically you can you can see things that are in that show that tie directly into like 
I don't know, world building and what, like the Liege Maximo and all that kind of stuff that kind of is, is could potentially tie into the, the history in between, you know, the, the great, you know, Cybertronian war and then like sort of the beast wars era. No, I, yeah. I get that, but I'm just saying for like five or six years, I mean, yes, you had memories and flashbacks, but for five or six years, he was an ape, man. Optimus was an ape. So here you get right on the cover. It's the Optimus you've been waiting for, the Optimus you really wanted. So, again, the preview works. Yeah, no, from that perspective, definitely, yeah. Like Mike, I'm ashamed. <laughs> Stand your ground and tell me I'm wrong, damn it. Don't cave just because well, I have a loud voice. No, I'm <laughs> saying from your uh, pers- from your inexperienced perspective, yeah, that that is a totally valid point, and it's like, well played, I, sir, well played. Yeah. It's like it's, your, o- it's okay. He's still in his truck, not monkey phase, yeah. and we'll we'll get out of that soon. Yeah, from your like pro- your proto form perspective, yes. Damn it. <laughs> I am not a protoform. Yeah, I am a fully formed, yeah, Autobot. I'm that little spark, you know, that they were protecting, and the innocent spark that hasn't routed into an evil Decepticon yet. But no, like definitely, like the people who are like, you know, the '80s nostalgia, the people who they were directly targeting with this stuff, like the, you know, the remember the original Transformers? Yeah, this was like super exciting, and like I, if I hadn't like watched beast wars and beast machines. And I, I only remembered original G one. I would have been just as excited to see this come back. And like, I, like I said, I, I, I never read this preview issue until maybe a year later. Like number one was my first issue of like Dreamwave comics or Dreamwave transformers. So like this, I don't know. I also have a different perspective on this story itself basically. So, but yeah, no, like I think both our points are basically valid. You know, something else we should know, Dreamwave, this this is an interesting era in the publishing of comics because, um, you know, if you go back to the 80s, all independent comics were like crappy black and white ones that were done on small presses and stuff like this. But by 2002, you could release an independent comic and it looked as slick or even better than a Marvel or DC package. And this one was a slick looking comic. I mean, yeah. the, the coloring was outstanding. Yeah. The paper quality was really nice. So it, it's interesting. I mean, just out of nowhere, Dreamwave just like poof appeared one day and and suddenly, you know, they were putting out a number one selling comic. It's kind of amazing. And it was like digi- digital coloring had just like come to the fore, right? like around this time. Like I, and and since, like I said, I hadn't read comics in a while. Like the last comics I read in maybe like 1998 were still using like sort of like the the like newsprint looking colors. So mm-hmm. like this this was like vibrant. Yeah, and the slick paper helped too. Yeah, because it makes the colors pop. All right, we got six more of these to get through. Yeah, so let's yeah, let's move on. Yeah, so, and there's there's plenty more to talk about. So let's go to uh, issue number one. In a South American jungle, two rebels are on night patrol. Manny grouses at his friend for lighting a cigarette and possibly giving away their position, but his friend is more re- interested in relieving himself. The pair are swiftly d- dispatched by a metal giant. In Cleveland, Ohio, Spike Wickwicky prepares for work and is being handed his hard hat by Daniel when General Hallow from the United States Army stops by. He introduces himself as the head of a department concerned with developing war technology and informs Spike that he's been granted a leave of absence from his job so he can help the Army. When Spike inquires as to what happens if he turns down the offer, Hallow simply says it is not an offer. Up in the wastelands of Canada's northern territories, Lazarus and a hooded freedom fighter named Bishop are carried across the snow in a jeep. 
Lazarus has a business proposition for Bishop, but they must continue on foot. As they do so, the Jeep transforms to stand guard behind them. The party finally reaches Lazarus's bunker, and Bishop's hood is removed, allowing him to see the goods. Spike waits in the Pentagon, reading a news story commemorating the Ark II disaster. As he is about to go into the meeting, Larry the janitor cautions him that nothing is as it seems in this place. General Hallow and Spike discuss the Ark II disaster, which claimed the lives of Sparkplug Wiki and the other humans who had volunteered to travel to Cybertron. However, Hollow has news for Spike. Although the Transformers were all believed to have been destroyed in the ship's explosion, the military has recent footage of Megatron raising a rebel encampment in South America. Megatron himself, at that very moment, is being viewed by Lazarus and Bishop. Lazarus explains that all the Transformers have been fitted with a control mechanism that gives him complete control over them. Megatron responds to verbal commands until Lazarus commands the Decepticon leader to kneel before him. Lazarus dismisses his refusal as a minor bug, but after they leave, Megatron's eyes glow ominously. Hallow and Spike travel to Area 24, where Hallow asks if Spike will help them with their own Transformer. As Spike realizes what they mean, they enter a hangar which houses Optimus Prime. To be continued. Dun, 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 dun. So yeah, like this this was the first one I actually read of like the Dreamwave comics and yeah, like I mean I was excited like like I said, it was a it was a very exciting moment, like in my comic book purchasing history, where I was like, you know, Transformers are back in comic book form, you know, like now I got to start buying comics again. Like uh, <laughs> I said, I wouldn't, but I got to now. And I mean, this is a fairly good like opening issue. Like, I'll say that. Like, I mean, there's like Derek said, like, like, I think I had a little bit of like, is this supposed to be taking place in the cartoon continuity? Like, because then they mentioned Buster and I'm like, wait, but that's Marvel. And then like, you know, I had to kind of think like, well, I guess this is kind of like, you know, robots in disguise or whatever, where it's like a different continuity, but it's still G1 somehow. So like, okay. Yeah, I, I was scratching my head going, okay, what? how does Rodimus fit into this? Is you know, trying to figure that out for a while and eventually realized, okay, just divorce myself of that. One of the things I do love right out of the gate is the art. And we talked about Pat Lee. Now, I just want to describe some of what, what I like about his style of the Transformers is he's great with forced perspectives, like where he puts a hand like right at the camera really far in front of a character coming right at you. They're really great at the forced perspectives. The characters don't look boxy, so you know maybe even Rob Kelly would like this. Um, I, they, they almost have an organic look to them. The way the metal is all a lot of, even though it's you know still sort of a uh, square shape, it, it's got rounded corners and stuff like that. It looks reminds me of a lot, a lot of like when they draw Iron Man, like he gets into weird poses. You're thinking there's no way the metal would bend like that. That doesn't work like that. But it looks sort of organic, or like a better maybe a better example, Spider-Man's mask. You know, Spider-Man looks shocked in a comic. His eyes get bigger. Well, you know his mask doesn't work that way. It's just there for the comic book design. And I feel like that's kind of the way he draws the Transformers. Like, you know the metal would be a lot more squarish and everything like that, but it, it's got a more organic feel to it, and I love that. You just you know it's not real, but you just go with it. I like that thing about that. I like that sort of aspect of it. I think, like, for, for my perspective, like, I, I did like this, and I was excited about the art. I will say, though, that there's even ads for like the the reprinted Marvel comics in this issue, and a mm-hmm. lot of those tail end books were drawn by Andy Wildman, and like he's kind of famous at least for me that that 
having all those like Jose Delbo kind of strict to the letter, like this is like the box art of the toy issues, and then going mm-hmm. to somebody like him, like he really humanized a lot of the Transformers comic art for me first. So like mm. I, I kind of okay. give him more credit. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying Pat Lee or or whoever, um, and, you know. <laughs> It doesn't doesn't give it a, a certain flavor like you're describing, but I think in terms of like I guess historical significance, I I, I would put me personally I would put more importance on on Andrew Wildman just because he was the type of guy that when Transformers punched each other, like you'd have these robotic teeth flying out and like spittle <laughs> and like you know they they kind of looked like my God was people. their spittle yeah there was there was spittle <laughs> all over the fucking place but. But and then, you know, speaking of that, it's interesting that you brought up the whole Rodimus thing, because Mm -hmm. I I think for me, like what clicked into me was, oh, this is 2003, not 2005. And Daniel is much younger than he is in the movie. So like at this point in time, I mean, eventually the the further you read the series, you kind of go, oh, there's no way this ties into the movie. But in this particular point in the issue. If you're if you're leaning towards this is like me, this is like 70 percent cartoon continuity, like it could turn into the movie era eventually, you know, like 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 that. That was kind of how I was coming at it, at least in this first issue where I was like, oh, like nothing, nothing has contradicted it yet. You know, like it's like it still could happen. I mean, to me, it was almost like, oh, well, maybe that explains, you know, maybe the arc two tragedy explains why. Sparkplug wasn't in the movie by 2005 because he died in 1999. You know, I like I was trying to do the timeline thing and, and like figure out, does this fit? Does this work? And then like like Mike, of course, the, the Buster thing threw me for a loop. You know, it was like I was like, well, wait a minute, Buster, like like that doesn't you know tie into the cartoon thing like that's that's a clear indication like of of Marvel comics continuity. So you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, which is, you know, you're kind of like, which is this supposed to be? I love the fan aura for Megatron. Like, even though he's mind controlled, that he will refuse to kneel for Lazarus. Like that's, yeah, that's kind of like one of my favorite, favorite moments. That's the best scene in the issue for me. Yeah. I like the reveal at Optimus at the end, but I think that's a pretty great shot. Now the, um, Oh, actually, you know, there was, uh, you're right. The, the Megatron reveal though, was actually, I'm sorry, even better because you see him slowly pull the hood off the guy. You know, like his vision slowly coming up from the hood, and then you know, you know, he's seeing Megatron. But we're not, we don't see it till later. But that's a pretty cool shot too. Now, the, did the snow scene where they're driving in the snow seem a little reminiscent of the preview, or is that just me? I, I, I agree. I think I think it, it is reminiscent. I mean, I mean, essentially, I think the the same. Uh, background artist was just doing uh, copy paste you know like, you know, like with the background. snowstorm <laughs> you know what i think is funny and it's like you know lazarus when he's talking and he's trying to hype up his merchandise and he makes like a little origami like swan like in his mm-hmm. hand and stuff but it's like it, it's kind of unrelated but it's like the short packed guy like like he does a couple strips about like Dreamwave and stuff and he has like Lazarus like show up in a group shot of like human characters and Transformers. And every time Lazarus shows up, he's always making a little origami <laughs> swan in the background. <laughs> it was kind of a weird thing. Like you, you kind of go with it, but you're like, eh, it's a little, you know, I get it, but it's kind of weird. I, I wonder if like, because sometimes I wonder if there are like randomized influences on this. Because I think I think later in the miniseries, I feel like there's some moments that were kind of 
influenced by Akira. And then in this, I'm wondering, like, is that like a like just, you know, maybe maybe it's it's the writer who likes Blade Runner or something. And it's like it's it's kind of like Lazarus has that that Edward James almost quirk where he likes to make origami shit and just leave it around and everything. Like, I don't know, but you know, it's like, it's like, it, it feels like he saw that and said, that's cool. I'm just going to put this in this, this comic now. And like, not that it means anything or that it holds any significance in this story, but that's kind of the vibe I get. Well, if that's what he does. If he picks up stuff from other stories, I wonder where he picked up the idea to open the comic Transformers number one with a guy taking a piss. I wonder where that he stole that from, because that's a weird way to open number one. Just saying. Well, it's almost like like it's it's like taken from like a Friday the 13th or something, you know, because because <laughs> it's like it's like this is like I mean, yeah, they're mercenaries and everything like that. Or, or maybe even like kind of like a predator type thing where it's like you got these guys that are heavily armed in the jungle. But then instead of it being like a predator that slowly takes them out, like that was kind of a big deal for me at the time, because I, I, I was certainly out of my teenage phase but this this kind of has shades of of how i see like the hbo spawn animated series where it's like the way we make things edgy and adult is by like showing blood and gore and it's kind of mm-hmm. like you know that basically megatron and piss and piss and piss, <laughs> and piss. but you know the like the way like megatron steps on the guy and squishes him and everything like it, it's not kind of cleaned up for you know i guess you know the johnny dc line or whatever you know it's like it's like you see these guys like splatter essentially so it's like it's like that was one of those things where you're like if if you were in that mindset you'd be like whoa bro like this is super adult you know like kind of thing because it's like (laughs) it's middle school gritty (laughs) yeah yeah and so 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 you kind of i i think that was my gut reaction to it at the time and now i might i might view it a little differently but i i still kind of see the significance and weight of it because i i can't think of like uh, an instance where somebody was literally like stepped on where the whole time you're thinking, of course, like a transformer would step on somebody and make them a bloody mess. But like, why has no one thought to do this before? You know, all I know is I was just confused when uh, Lazarus took Bishop's hood off and he didn't have Jerry curls. I was trying to save lives, yours and millions in my future. You know, that, that, that's, <laughs> that, I, I know, I know you're cracking jokes about it, but it's like this book was written in 2002 and like the arc 2 tragedy and that character like i mean this is a very kind of like post 911 oh yeah book response yep. you know like the, and we'll, the way, we'll get into that more later uh, yeah. yeah like the way the way it's written the article and everything and like i i kind of had a question for you guys cuz i i'm kind of curious what your take on it is but like I, i'm looking at this now reading it kind of like sort of from a you know a a different vantage point, I guess. But like, I'm, I'm wondering like, is it odd to you guys? I I mean, this might depend on your history with the franchise and everything, but I kind of feel like it's odd that spark plug is the one that went out into space. Like, like I get it. Like spark plugs, the expendable one, like you need spike in the story. So it makes sense from like a storytelling point of view. It's like, he was the older dad. Like he's the one who passes away. And then, you know, it's like Spike and Daniel are the wikis moving forward. Like, I get it from that perspective. But, like, in terms of, like, the, the Transformers franchise, like, I, I never, like, in the Marvel comic, Sparkplug kind of hated the Transformers. 
like to a degree. I mean, it was like one. He, it wasn't like he was J. Jonah Jameson, but it's like he he kind of hated that his son got involved in it, and he tried to help him out, and he was part of a lot of the solutions. But you kind of got the idea, like he became jaded through his interactions with them in the comic books over the years. Whereas I'd say maybe the cartoon continuity, like. He was probably a steadfast and staunch ally, but I still don't see either of those versions of the characters like going like, like, well, Spike, I'm ready to go out into space with a bunch of astronauts and scientists, and I'm going to be the liaison. Isn't it great? Like, I, I don't see him jumping at the chance to do that exactly, but I'm kind of curious, like, what your guys' thoughts would be on that. I didn't even remember the Wick. I remember the boys like Spike and Daniel, but the fact that the whole Wick Wicky family and all that didn't remember it until I saw the Michael Bay movie. So I don't know that I'm really qualified to answer that question. So I'll have to pass that one to Mike. Yeah, no, I, I, I guess I can see what you're saying. Like he's just, you know, he's like a either depending on the continuity, he's either a oil rig worker or like a grease monkey, like a yeah, mechanic. Yeah. So I mean, it, and I know like the article says like he he served as like the liaison between the Transformers and like the rest of the crew, and I'm like. What do you mean? It's like it's not like he speaks like Cybertronian or anything. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. he was like he was like like you know Optimus Prime's like like welcome aboard and Sparkplug like turns to the others and says he says welcome aboard and they're like you know the others are like you know he's speaking English right like we can understand him like like Sigourney like Weaver I, in Galaxy Quest. Her, yeah, her job was to repeat the computer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like no, I, I guess I can see what you're saying and like. Um, I guess, you know, if you want to, like, fudge it or no prize it, you can just be like, well, you know, my son's not going out into space, like, the first time. Like, I'll make sure it's safe. And then, like, after that, okay. like, you yeah, know, I Spike can... can, like, you know, come out with me. No, no, that's a good no prize. I mean, that's something I hadn't considered. But the protectiveness of a parent, like, I'm going to test the waters first to make sure this is good. Like, yeah, I kind of I, I can appreciate that. I did like the article in general. I thought it was a great way to do an info dump without having too much exposition. So I thought that was handled well. It did also leave me wondering, because I kept, I guess I didn't have the continuity thing down. So I kept going, wait, 19, because like 1984 to 1999, that's 15 years the Transformers have been wandering around the Earth. That's a long damn time for them to suddenly not really remember them that well, you know, three years later. So I got to assume that amongst this continuity changes we're talking about and where this timeline fits, they came to Earth shortly before 1999, I would think. Yeah, you'd think if the Dreamwave is its own continuity, that would have to be true. Like, it yeah. couldn't have been 1984. Yeah. There's no way they had 15 years of, uh, you know, Decepticon war on Earth. Right, it just, right. It wouldn't, doesn't make sense with the way the story's written. Yeah, so you want to, guys want to move on? Yeah, yeah. Do it. Anything else? Okay, so issue two. With the prone body of Optimus Prime laying before them, General Hallow and Spike Whip Wiki stand over the Autobot leader's open chest. Spike sorrowfully muses about Prime's promise to bring his father back safe and sound from Cybertron. He takes a strange bauble from a chain around his neck, places it into the empty Matrix chamber, and then squints at the radiant light that emanates from inside. At the Smitco oil refinery in the Arctic, an unexpected delivery by helicopters draws the workers' attention. From inside a giant huge metal crate that is dropped, a horde of giant silent robots burst forth and smash everything in sight, maiming and murdering many members of the refinery crew. Meanwhile, Lazarus and a multinational group are watching the attack remotely. When finished, Lazarus turns to the group and asks the assembled outlaws and criminals to what they will bid for his war machines. 
As the bidding re- reaches a feverish pitch, Lazarus unveils his first lot, Megatron. Before he has his hands on it on the cash, he learns that the Decepticon leader wasn't quite deactivated. General Hallow, his staff, and Spike stand on a glacial shelf at the feet of the newly resurrected Optimus Prime. Prime removes the matrix of leadership from his chest and holds it aloft. The mystical device raises Jazz, Mirage, Sunstreaker, Sideswipe, Wheeljack, Trailbreaker, and Superion from the depths of the frigid ocean. Nearby, the helicopters are returning to Lazarus' headquarters with their transformer cargo, but as they try to land, an explosion rips the building apart and outbursts Megatron. To be continued! Da-da-da. Yes. I will give you 82 million and a harem of wives for that Megatron. <laughs> <laughs> so, the big question I've got here is uh, I don't see this any other way. Friggin' Optimus gave Spike a significant chunk of the Matrix of Leadership because, like, when they open his chest, that thing is empty. So, first of all, how did Optimus keep going without the spark? And then he, he just left it on Earth with Spike just for shits and giggles? I don't get that. Uh, well, the ma- the Matrix is not his spark, despite what, like, Beast Wars might have led people to believe, basically. Like, I want to say he took the core of the Matrix. Like, the, Well, I guess this is going to get into a whole thing, I guess. Like, the Matrix of Leadership is the symbol of, like, Autobot leadership, basically. Well, that, right. that's now, what the, yeah. yeah. I'm basing my knowledge from like the, the animated movie, which I've watched far too many times. From, so, yeah, you know. like that that it has nothing to do with Optimus Prime's life is what I'm getting at. Okay, okay. like it, it's just it's a symbol of his station and it has like mystical powers, like depending on the continuity, it can do a lot of stuff. Okay. But like, yeah, it, it, he can be without it. All right. You know, the other thing, too, is like, you know, how we're, you know. Transformers fans are trying to wrestle with all the different continuities. It's like this kind of, to me, echoes to the whole Marvel continuity where it was the creation matrix before it even had the shell. Yeah, when it, it was just a, com- a computer program in his head. Yeah, yeah, and 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 in in that continuity, he gives Buster the power of the creation matrix. So Buster was the one like assembling Jetfire and all this stuff. Like, so it's like, and 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 the aspect of Prime just going down to the mountain and and resurrecting or you know bringing these guys all out of stasis or whatever you want to you know reconcile it as you know it's like that's to me that's that's a little more marvel comics creation matrix than it is the matrix of leadership from the cartoons and the movies you know like at hmm. least from my perspective yeah because because that it, it kind of explains like if, if you're like well wait a minute the matrix is this huge giant thing that's in prime's chest it's like how does it get into a little piece of jewelry on spike's neck it's like well if, if you kind of look at it from the vantage point that it's this either mystical magical or even scientific computer program it's like one of those things where it's like well it can be compressed it can you know change shape and form it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical object if it's the creation matrix and if it's the quote-unquote creation matrix it kind of lends more credence to you know bringing bringing sort of you know i guess long sleeping robots kind of back to the the forefront of the story as well whereas i think I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'd say in the, the cartoon continuity, it's a lot more kind of MacGuffin-y, you know, like it's it's kind of like, you know, more of the 
kind of spiritual like repository you know it's like it's like prime would go talk to the matrix and go, yeah it's like hey, a source of wisdom you know hey yeah. agents how do i bring these guys out of stasis lock and alpha trine would show up and go give them two of these and call me in the morning and then he'd go do it <laughs> you know whereas in this he's just kind of like all right i'm gonna like flash the matrix around like an x-files badge and then everybody's gonna like wake up so it's like it's, it's a little it's a little different you know i guess the the, the approach to it I think from this issue, like, the scene that probably affected me the most was seeing, like, that slaughter at the refinery. Because, mm. you know, you're used to, at this point, like, Decepticons causing chaos and stuff. But then you see, like, Bumblebee and, like, Prowl, like, murdering humans and stuff. And you're kind of like, wow, like, okay. Like, when I was reading this the first time, I was like, oh, this is kind of... I guess this is more like, you know, like you were saying, Derek, like, like extreme dark, like, you know, adult stuff like, you well, know. Yeah. And they, then they wanted to take like your traditional trope. It's like you you may see in like the pilot episode more than meets the eye in the cartoon, an attack on an oil refinery. But, you know, the worst case scenario, it's like, OK, the oil refinery is on fire, but everybody has, you know, G.I. Joe parachutes or they all swim to life rafts and like everything, you know, the, the actual people are not necessarily harmed whereas in this it's like the consequences are much graver like not only is everything set on fire and do they steal what they came to steal but it's like there are casualties from that attack and it's funny how they go into it because spike kind of you know eventually would like lambast prime over that and then and then it seems to sort of i don't know as the the series progresses it, it seems to sort of fall a little bit by the wayside it's like they were kind of willing to attack it head on, I think, in the early issues, but they kind of, I, I feel like they kind of eased up or backed off on that, that sense of consequence as the, the series moved forward. I kind of expected something to follow up where, like, Bumblebee would be dealing with the, uh, con- his conscience bothering him for what he mm-hmm. did when he was being mm-hmm. controlled, but I guess being robots, he's just like, well, it wasn't me. You know, maybe they just don't aren't bothered by that kind of thing. <laughs> but that that was something that's weighed on me. I I do think the art really ramped up this issue compared to the preview in issue number one. I feel like this really starts to get amazing because you get to see you know our favorite boxes in motion. I love Megatron coming to life and rising out of the chair and grabbing that guy. I mean, it's just some good. And, and when all the Transformers woke up and came up out of the water, it's just some great looking stuff. Again, wonderful art by whoever did it. <laughs> Uh, it's like I think most of this is aside from the backgrounds. Like I think most of this is probably Pat Lee. Like I think that he's still in his giving a shit stage, and like it's it's not like you know I could quibble about like the proportions and stuff. Like some of the you know people uh, robots proportions are a little wonky or spacey, but like you know I, it's at this point I was willing to like throw it off to, as a stylistic choice. Like you know like like you said like he kind of does like the forced perspective sometimes mm-hmm. i'm less willing to jump on him for like you know rob liefeld-esque like things but i think at this point though like by the end of this issue i was starting to like think that maybe chris saracini who like is the writer maybe wasn't as familiar with transformers as i initially thought he was because like not only like that matrix of leadership stuff like <laughs> Superion like just comes out of the ocean like as a combiner and like up until this point like at least in Transformers history like combiners are made up of like you know five or six different Autobots and like they don't they only form the giant like 
combiner robot when it's Megazord time, guys, or whatever. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's time to fight. Like, so I was kind of like, wait, so was he on the spaceship as Superion? And then he crashed into the ocean as Superion? And then he comes out of the ocean as Superion? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, like, I was, that always kind of, like, that was a minor, like, niggle that really, like, kind of bothered me, I guess, when I first read that. And I guess it still bothers me today. It's, it's a fair point. I didn't even realize he was a combiner till like, issue, what, five, when he gets blown apart? Yeah. I just thought he was a really big damn dude. You know what bothers me about that scene, and and it is a minor nitpick, but like I, for some reason, and I'm I'm sure somebody could find a sound clip and prove me wrong, but like I don't see Optimus Prime calling the Autobots boys. Like I don't I don't I don't know what that is, but it's like it's like I for some reason I just I don't know I don't get it. It's like I I, I can't even hear Peter Cullen be like, "Welcome back." boys like i'm just kind of like that right. sounds wrong to me welcome back boys yeah <laughs> yeah he did it with the z's that's right yeah <laughs> yeah he would say like welcome back old friends or something like you know right, right. you know like with some gravitas basically like yeah and um i don't know like even i i remember even back then i kind of questioned i was like wait there are all these friggin' autobots in the ocean like right here and no one ever found them like like how hard were you guys looking like yeah, it's like, why, why did they have to dig, like, 40 billion feet into the ice for Soundwave, but then there is some Autobots, like, in the, the, the lake, like, right next door that were just a couple feet down. Yeah, and, like, Su- Superion is humongous. Like, you know, like, and, and you you got to tell me, like, no boats were, like, or submarines, like, passed by that area, and we're like, hey, what's that giant fucking robot doing here? Like, There's there's no metal detectors in this world. Yeah, so they, exactly. They couldn't find them. <laughs> That's all I've got on this issue. Um, I will say one thing, and I think this might be the first. No, it's probably not the first time it occurs. But to to criticize Pat Lee's art, uh, he one of the tricks he uses a lot in this miniseries, and I guess you could say it's a stylistic choice, but it's also kind of lazy, is where he repeats he repeats the same panel like four times on the same page, but he just changes like one action in it. And it's like, you know, at the end of the issue when, like, they're returning to headquarters and, like, they see the headquarters blowing up. And it's, like, the same perspective of the pilot. But, like, each time it's, like, there's a big, like, there's an explosion. There's a bigger explosion. Now Megatron's out of the base. Now Megatron's shooting at us. Ah! Like, and I guess, you know, it's supposed to be, like, cinematic or whatever. But at the same time, when you really think about it, it's, like, that's kind of lazy, isn't it? Like... It's cheating a bit, yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's I, a, I mean, I think that's true of the page where you see Prime's feet, and then it's just General Halo and Spike and his his kind of entourage. Like it's it's the same kind of idea. It's that same three shot of of Spike, Halo, and the guy next to him, and then it's just kind of like, oh, so Prime's legs like change in that background, you know, essentially. But that's pretty much the same panel, like you know, four that, this this. this this stylistic choice I put in air quotes will occur with greater frequency as we like continue with this <laughs> series. So now I like, will say yeah. in, in Derek or, or Mike, feel free to correct me here. I think this is the beginning of the era where artists were drawing, starting to draw digitally or were at least using Photoshop more often. Yeah. So yeah. I think we were seeing this sort of trick trickery, if you will, um, in comics a lot more. I seem to remember around this time you'd start to see that more and more a lot. And they thought they, you know, yes, they thought they were trying to do this cool stylistic thing to show motion because everything's standing still, but only Optimus' feet are moving. But to folks like us, it's more like, no, nah, you're just cutting corners. So yeah, I, I, I think it was, yeah. I think it was of the era though. I don't think it was yeah. just a Dreamwave thing. 
I definitely agree with that. Like it, it's like like you said, Photoshop especially, and but and and like you know the cynic in me is kind of like, hey, if I just use this same panel like eight times on the same page, I only have to draw half the page. Like you know, so right, but yeah. And I guess it's also a consequence of like the decompressed style of like comic book storytelling that was probably starting to get its start yeah. like around this yeah. era oh, too. Yeah. Like Brian Michael Bendis's Ultimate Spider Man and like you know, and anything where, you know, you kind of felt like you you would only read half an issue when the issue ends, basically. In two thousand two, two thousand three is actually around the time those word the word decompressed storytelling or phrase I should say was really coming into common use and writing for the trade. Both those two phrases because I remember in two thousand three being at a panel asking uh, Jeff Johnson questions and those were terms that were kind of just you know people were using that had been around for a little bit at that point. So yeah, nice. Uh, anything else to say about this issue or shall we move on? Do it. Let's roll out. All right, issue three. Spike Witwicky and Optimus Prime stand at the scene of the Smitco oil refinery attack and survey the damage. Spike accuses Prime of being responsible for the recent deaths and all human casualties resulting from the Transformers War. Optimus is trying to figure out how that even begins to make sense when General Hallow receives a call about the explosion at Lazarus's headquarters. Optimus demands to know the location. He rallies the revived Autobots to fight on and refuses Spike's insistence that they get help from the human military. At the northern tip of the Northwest Territories, Megatron has Lazarus on a leash and is preaching to the human about evolution. At Megatron's order, Soundwave pulls a switch on a glowing spherical device that releases a metallic-looking liquid. The liquid coats Lazarus's body, apparently solidifying him into a metal statue. The liquid continues to coat everything in sight as Megatron and the Decepticons leave the building to face off against the Autobots. Optimus Prime arrives on scene, and while trading barbs with Megatron, the Decepticon leader reveals his plan to turn Earth into a new Cybertron-like planet using this cyber virus. Megatron tries to convince Optimus Prime that the humans aren't worth defending, and reveals that one of Optimus's own troops, Grimlock, has defected to his way of thinking. The two groups start fighting outright when a human helicopter appears overhead. Hallow gives the order to in initiate Operation Cleanup despite Spike's protests. The helicopter releases a missile above the battlefield and a massive explosion envelops the combatants below. To be continued. All right. All right. So, yeah, like uh, I think at this point, like the plot was sort of getting a little uh, off kilter to me. And, uh, like, it's weird because, like, the cyber virus thing, like, that's a total, like, Transformers cartoon, like, episode, like, wacky Megatron scheme of the week or something. Like, and he's done stuff like that in the original cartoon with, like, you know, the key to Vector Sigma, which could turn anything into metal. And he's just like, well, I'll just make Earth into Cybertron. Like, screw that. Screw getting home. Like, you know, and, it, like, I don't know. Like, I... I, I I think when I saw that Grimlock had joined with Megatron, I was kind of like, okay, like, hold on now. Like, like, is this like, uh, this is another, like, uh, I guess, like clash of comic and cartoon sensibilities because this Grimlock that appears here, he clearly wants to be, it, they clearly want it to be sort of like Marvel comics, Grimlock, where he's like somewhat intelligent, even though he still has the me Grimlock speech pattern. Mm -hmm. But, 
I don't know. Like, I don't know how to put it. It's just, it felt like really off to me. Just the well, way I, that. Oh, good. Well, I was just going to add, I think one of the things interesting about the Grimlock scene is that I don't think it really works for someone who's not that familiar with the Dinobots. Because, like, you know, thankfully I knew who Grimlock was and everything. Um, and I do a horrible impersonation for him, which I'll do for you later. But <laughs> they, if you don't know who Grimlock is, it carry, that scene carries no weight at all. It's just some random guy who walks up who talks like Bizarro. So I think they're really relying on you knowing the previous continuity, which I don't know that that would work enough for a lot of the people that were coming back just for nostalgia's sake. Yeah, they could have done a better job of of establishing a non-mind-controlled Grimlock before he makes that turn. Yeah. Yeah. And they they don't really even get his speech pattern exactly correct because – like, okay, like, he says me all the time, but he doesn't say, like, he says, I fight with all me strength. And I'm like, what, is he Irish or something? Like, <laughs> uh, it's me like, just want to go home. Yeah, Maybe this like, way is best. Yeah, exactly. It's like, there, there is a way to write him, and that's slightly off. Everything surrounding Grimlock, basically, feels off to me in this issue and the following issues. I, I think for this issue, like, one of the... the main notes i have is kind of like the megatron you know stomping people bloody like i i think the other sort of trick to making this a quote-unquote adult story is the dirty language and like it's like well when megatron says like you know what the hell does your kind know about evolution you know, or like he says, like, who gives a damn or whatever. And so, like, my, my thing is like, oh, like, I, I kind of remember, you know, seeing Transformers the movie and like when, you know, Ultra Magnus would say damn or whatever, or, you know, so it was like one of those things. Or even even like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when like Raphael would be like, damn. And so you kind of <laughs> sit there and giggle to yourself. So you're like, ooh, you know, like a turtle said a swear word, you know, like and you were kind of like thinking like it was like, more adult than it actually was. And I, I, I think that's kind of a, a trope in this, where, like, Megatron kind of was the one saying, like, all the kind of, you know, uh, curse words or swear words and trying to make it come off as a little more, you know, make the property more adult than maybe, it, you know, its its origins were, I guess, is the best sure. way to put it, you know? No, no, that makes perfect sense. No, absolutely. Like, it's like when Han Solo in, in Part Strikes goes, I'll see you in hell! And I was like, whoa! <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah, I totally get what you mean. Um, the the virus thing, going back to what Mike's point about the the scheme of the week sort of thing, the virus thing didn't bother me. Like I I wasn't like, wow, that's a cool, brilliant plan. It was just like, okay, you need parallel perils from a storytelling perspective. You've got to have the peril of Optimus and Megatron fighting, and then later on, it's going to develop into the you know the Autobots fighting the the virus at the same time, and it gives you parallel perils, which works well from a storytelling perspective. So it, it, the, the scheme of the week thing didn't really bother me. It just it, it seemed like a natural storytelling out element. I think it was it was a way to sort of take Lazarus off the table pretty quickly as well. Like <laughs> if you were if you were annoyed with like the human interaction, it's like I, I think most of that ends up being relegated to Spike and General Halo after this. And it's like I almost kind of wish General Halo was there to get like you know the the metal vac seal or whatever you know because <laughs> if you wanted to 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 get rid of some of those those human characters and then I I did mention this earlier but just to point it out explicitly like that last page where they set off the 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 nuke from the helicopter which 
I don't know about that, but the nuke from the <laughs> helicopter uh, gets set off, and like that that last panel does remind me a lot of the sort of uh, the multiple nuclear explosions in Akira. So I I, I feel like that's oh, kind yeah. of certainly yeah. certainly influenced by by that so i you know then that's something that you know i mean it, it's fine to have influence i'm not you know you know lambasting pat lee or 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 the excellent background artist uh <laughs> edwin garcia for that but you know i i, I just kind of was pointing out that to me that's that's what that was the most reminiscent of since this has like a very anime feel i can't help but think of akira when i see that last panel Speaking of Pat Lee, uh, once again, like I mentioned last issue, we have an entire page of Optimus and his Autobots slowly approaching the camera as like on the same background as they transform. And I think like Optimus has like one word on that page where he's like, no, or like, my God, or something like that. Okay, I think you're I think you're fussing there too much. Like that's more like a matte painting sort of thing because it's just a couple of mountains. I mean, the, the action clearly is the changing stuff going on with them transforming. So I'm I'm okay with that. I think you're being too picky. It's like, I don't know. That, that's a whole page, and like the story is like getting a little decompressed at this point. So I was kind of like, uh I don't know. And then it, like also on a smaller scale, it's like Grimlock emerging from the mist is like mm. you know another half page of that. Well, part of the reason I think I like the scene where they're all coming at us, and this is a little embarrassing to admit, uh, in Smoking the Bandit, I think it's two or maybe it's three, there's a scene where Iceman's coming at you with the truck, and you just think it's one truck. And it's a long shot, just like this. And then all these other trucks spin off from behind him. They're all directly behind him, so you couldn't see it. And that's like one of my favorite moments in that movie. I know it's stupid, but that's sort of like this moment. It's like you just see Optimus and maybe something else, and then he gets closer, and there's all these Autobots, and then they're running at you, and they're transforming. It's awesome! So I kind of like it. I, I can <laughs> I can appreciate the the breakup in terms of the transformation, but like there are some panels in this. Like There's specifically that one where like Sideswipe and Starscream are fighting each other in one panel, and then the next two panels are just that same mountain, but with different states of sort of avalanche, sure. I guess. Yeah, like that yeah. that's kinda that's kinda cheap. Like that that I, I can let I can let the, the Grimlock thing slide for narrative purposes and I, I can kinda let the the yeah, I, I get what Mike's saying. He's just saying, dude, you gave a lot of realty, you know, a lot of real estate to Prime and uh, a bunch of Autobots transforming just for one page. It's like, to, I think to us, it's like Jose Delbo would have been like, panel one, transform, done. Like, <laughs> like tons of other story, like in the rest of it. Whereas this, it's like, dude, that that's like the whole page you gave to that. You know, so now, I, I they'd get all, it. They'd but... all be transforming and like everyone in the background would be block colored. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Now, to back you up there, I don't have this note on this issue, and maybe I am seeing more of it that you're talking about now. My, issue, my note on issue four pretty much is, boy, we're really treading water here, huh? You know, really nice art, but it's just nothing's happening. And that's, you know, you're right. There is a lot of padding in here. That's fair. This could have been a four-issue story very easily, but they needed to fill out the trade. So One scene I wanted to highlight in this issue, and it's not mentioned in that synopsis I just read, but there's that brief scene of, like, Starscream and Thundercracker and Skywarp just sitting around playing with, like, Bumblebee and the other, like, Minibots, like, parts and stuff. And, like, I don't – I, I kind of take that scene, like, at least nowadays, like – as one of those, like, this is friggin' like adult, 
like extremes or <laughs> like scenes like like in those like awful Thundercats comics of like this same period where it's like, you know, you know, the Thunder Kittens are Mumra's slaves now. Like that's friggin like hardcore. And I, like, <laughs> I, like, uh, like, I, I don't know. Like, it's like, remember Bumblebee? Wasn't he dumb? Well, guess what? Like, here's his decapitated head. Like, yeah, like. I don't know, like I, I, and then like Star screams, like we're going, like Megatron's going to do something evil, like we're evil, like uh, I was like, <laughs> man, like what? A, Star screams a great fucking character, and all you could do with him was like be like I'm evil. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all fair points. Although I hate Star screams, so I, I can't get with you on that. But yes, them showing Bumblebee's decapitated head and him swinging him around by his spine. Is, is is rather graphic now that you mention it. That's very true. I, I did kind of hear the the cartoon voices though when that scene came up where he's like, "Star scream, what's Megatron's plan this time?" And he's like, "Who cares? You just know it's going to be evil." But I get why that's, that's like super cheesy. That's exactly how this scene played out in my head. So thank you. You you just made it real. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask you a question about the cover real quick. All right, so um, it's a great cover because it's my my glory, well, at least the, the the heroic cover, the Autobots cover, because it's my my beloved uh, mini bot or mini cars. Right, you get you know Bumblebee right there in the front. And you got uh, oh geez, what it's I was a uh, Wind Charger and Cliff Gears, Jumper and Cliff Gears, Jumper. yep, and Bronze there and Huffer, all of them. Who the hell is in the top right hand corner next to Braun? Like weird uh, green body, red head. That's ha- Cosmos. Cosmos. Who the hell is Cosmos? How do you do? Check. Not very well, I hope. He turns into a UFO. Yeah, he, he turns into like a flying you saucer. Effing kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's got he's kind of got like this phony like Irish accent where he's like you know I don't know on the cartoons he did where he's like oh I'm out of control you know and he's always like crashing and stuff. Holy know. crap! Okay, because he's he's on some of the promo art for this series and he's on this cover and I'm like. He's not in the comic. I'm like, who the hell is this dude? I don't know. This looks like a spinning top. You know, you that, know? that's an interesting thing to mention because it seems like, I mean, th- th- this kind of goes back to the the Transformers fandom, you know, even more than just Truck Not Monkey. Like, there, there's G1 and then there's, like, G1 where it's, like, it, it's got to be, like, the first season cast of mm. Autobots and Decepticons. And, like, that, this is an interesting thing to note because... Like the the six mini bots that are up in the basically the the main frame of of this cover, with the exception of Braun, who's kind of like in the background, but it's like Braun, Huffer, Cliffjumper, Gears, and Bumblebee. They are, you know, essentially G one like characters <laughs> or whatever. You know, whereas it, uh, that's not to say the other characters aren't from Generation One, but they were like second season mini bots. And it's like gotcha. if you pay attention to this, essentially, I, I think the original intent. Although we'll get into uh, shenanigans, I think, with issues five and six. But I think the intent of this was that they would only be season one Autobots and Decepticons. And I mean, you know, and for the most part, that that bears out with a couple exceptions because of some some kind of almost Rob Liefeldian errors with uh, Sideswipe later on. But oh, okay. other, other than that. Like it, it pretty much holds true. So it, I guess to to me, I'd kind of be forgiving. Like if if you're more familiar with the season one Autobots and toys, it's like you you might not know. Like oh wait, well who is Sea Spray? You know who is you know Power Glide and Cosmos and Beachcomber and that kind of thing. Because and and ironically, they're not 
anywhere in the issue either. So, I mean, it's not like you're at fault. It's not like they were ever featured in these issues to this point either. They, they clearly weren't on the arc two when it went up and crashed either, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, okay. the, the only thing that kind of proves that theory wrong is the fact that like Superion's just kind of chilling in the background. Yeah, and he's like he's considered like sort of season three or year three of yeah, Transformers. Yeah, so right. yeah. Hmm. But All right. I, I, the only other thing I'll mention about this issue, and I think Shag brought it up like last issue, it's like that opening scene where like Spike or Spike and Optimus like talk, like like that that brings up like an interesting point where like Spike is like sort of blaming Optimus for all the death and destruction like that results like inevitably like between Transformers like fighting each other, and I don't feel like that ever gets brought up again after this issue. Like it, it's I, I almost it's in- feel like they kind of negate it by the end because I think by the end of it it's almost like. Spike forgot he had this conversation with Prime where he's like, way to yeah. go, Prime, you saved the day! And then Prime looks around and goes, did we, Spike? Did we really? And looks at all the death and destruction. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, you already you already lambasted him for that. Like, I don't, but now it's like every, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Well, I would say there's definitely a callback in issue six because you, you, I'm glad you mentioned that last page. That's what was on my mind when Optimist has that reaction. And then earlier when uh, – in well, we're, we're jumping way ahead. But issue six where Megatron's trying to convince Optimus to join him, you know, there is a, a thought. He's looking around at all the destruction they've caused. You know, it's combined with the evils that the humans are doing to each other. Uh, but, but there is some of this. So I feel like, well, that thread – probably wasn't carried as well as it should have been. They did revisit it, definitely, in issue six. So I think it's merited. It's a little clumsy, but it's there. Yeah, like, I, I just thought it was something, like, interesting that they could have really explored, but instead they just kind of defaulted to, like, you know, standard, you know, cartoon plot, like, fight the cyber virus, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... All right, so let's move on to issue four. General Hallow arrives at the Pentagon and gives his officers orders to clandestinely lock up Spike Witwicky and destroy any evidence of the missile launch against the Transformers. Back in the Northwest Territories, Optimus Prime wakes and pulls himself out of the cocoon of metal created by the combination of the energy from the missile explosion and the cyber virus. The other remaining Autobots regroup and find that the Decepticons have already escaped. Wheeljack's assessment of the virus is that it is growing, solidifying, and feeding off of energy from their weapons. Prime orders his troops to find the source. In the Pacific Ocean, 52 miles west of the United States, a sonar operator on a human submarine detects an approaching object and sounds the alarm only moments before the submarine is destroyed. The Autobots are surveying Lazarus's former stronghold, which has been taken over by Megatron. They discover some of their friends in the source of the virus, which Wheeljack finds of no help in order to stop it. Ironhide gives an ominous warning to Optimus Prime about where the Decepticons will attack next. Meanwhile, in San Francisco, a giant figure approaches the shoreline from under the water and emerges, submerging the entire shoreline. Devastator has arrived. Back up north, Wheeljack is still trying to find a solution to stopping the cyber virus as Jazz and Mirage piece together some of their fallen comrades. Megatron and his crew, including Grimlock, are already on site in San Francisco and aid Devastator in making a mess of the place. The Autobots arrive on the back of Superion and the battle is joined. Superion falls apart into the individual aerial bots due to fire from the Seekers. 
As the battle rages, the advantage appears to be in the Decepticons' hands as Devastator stands triumphant. So, yeah, this... This is <laughs> this is this is the issue, right? Like yes, this is, this is kind this of an infamous all, issue. All falls apart, right? Yeah, right. like and let's okay, let's like I don't shag. Like, why don't you start us off? Because I've got a lot to say about this issue. Okay, like, my I kind of said it last time. This is the treading water issue. I mean, not much happens other than the attack on San Francisco starts, but it keeps going for two more issues. So I don't feel like it's like wow, the attack. No, it's it's just the beginning of more of it. The only thing in this issue that really wowed me was Devastator. Him, you know, that, that big two-page thing appearing out of the water and everything, that was pretty freaking cool. But other than that, this issue really was like a, oh, we're getting a lot of padding here. Yeah. Okay, like, here's 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 the whole thing, and I'll, we're going to educate you on this shag. I'm, pr- I'm prepared well, to get into a fetal butt position and cry. I'm ready. <laughs> the final page of this issue... Uh, I'm going to say exactly what happens on it, just so there's like no mistaking, like what the intent is. Um, uh, there's a like a, a row of like sh- people like looking up shocked at something, which Optimus Sideswipe, Trailbreaker and Megatron all looking up at something. And it on the bottom of the page, it shows that Devastator is like hovering above the uh, like skyscraper line and like apparently like roaring in like victory because he's beaten Superion and he's got one of the aerial bots like dangling from his fist. Mm-hmm. Now, when this issue was released, Transformers fandom online kind of went like where the, there was like a wave of confusion that like swept over like Transformers fandom online because no one could decide what the hell that last page meant. Like, because this is a, an example of when people criticize Pat Lee's art, they call it dull surprise where like he can't convincingly, <laughs> he can't convincingly showcase emotions on people's faces sometimes. And like everyone was like, is Devastator supposed to be roaring in in victory or is he looking confused at the sky because something is coming from the sky? And like, like <laughs> okay. you, think, okay. you would think like if Devastator was roaring in victory, then that top shot of Megatron where Megatron's just got this good expression on his face, he would be like all happy because Devastator won. But no, he's got the same good expression as everyone else. So That's everyone true. was like, Wait, so is Omega Supreme coming? Like, is that what Devastator's looking at? Like, there's something in the sky that he's looking at? And it didn't help the fact that after this issue, there was a three-month delay until the next issue. Because Pat Lee couldn't make the friggin' deadline. So we had three months online of everyone trying to decipher what the fuck this last page meant. So, like, yeah, this this is where I think Pat Lee started to either delegate some of his penciling to other people or not, like, started to cease to give a fuck about what he was drawing. Hmm. Okay. All right. So now I'm going back and look at this a lot closer here. Okay. So they say, oh, my God, or three different people go, oh, then my, then God. And then that's when you get that page. Interesting. Yeah, they do all dull surprise. That's funny. That is sort of like. <laughs> That is sort of like the, the way to describe it. Yeah, their mouths kind of hanging open, but it, but they are robots. It's kind of hard to give them expressions. Um, I guess I wasn't I I wasn't confused when I read this page. It was clearly like everyone's like, oh, look at him. He's beaten you know Superion, and he's out there going like I'm a badass. Is kind of what I saw. But now you're right. If you really break it down, and you look at Megatron. Why is Megatron even looking up? why is he even in that shock and all page? Like, shouldn't shouldn't be. Megatron be happy? Like shouldn't Megatron have a smile on his face? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's true. 
I, I also kind of feel like, like, have you ever seen, like, the breakdown of, like, the Heroes Reborn, Rob Liefeld, Captain America, you know, that, like, infamous image, the chest? Yeah. Like, have you ever seen it, where, like, where they try to, like, draw him, like, they color him in naked? And yeah, they do it without you, clothes, like, and it's like, oh like, my like, god. Like, yeah. where, where the anatomy is so horrible. It's like, to me, kind of like, I, I'm looking at some of these things, and I, I feel like there's that aspect to some of the art as well, especially in that last page where you're like, is Devastator on his knees? Is Devastator standing up? Like, is like how big are those skyscrapers? Like, yeah. how big is Devastator? Like, like if 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 one arm of Devastator is the size of a robot that's in his hand, why? You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. you start going crazy with the like proportions, proportions I, and and things. So I like, love how it, you, I love how you dropped the R on that. By the way, Devastator. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and so, like you've got like you know. That looks. I think that looks to be air raid in his hand, like as the aerial bots go, and like, you know, like the size of combiners are all are never really consistent. But like yeah, most people yeah. decide they're like the sum of their parts. So if that's true, then it looks like air raid could air raid turns into one of Superion's legs. That fucking robot in that in that hand could not like equal that like a leg the size of that Devastator basically. Yeah, like that's a good point. Yeah. There's also like the, like the I think the one of the more obscene ones of the whole like Pat Lee like repetitive style panel things and I I, I kind of find some of it kind of confusing but there there's that one page where there's the woman with the baby and mm-hmm. it, it's almost like that woman and the baby have like essentially like the same expression for like two panels or whatever yep, it is they like, do they're frozen you know, yep and 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 so like I mean I get it I get it it's like supposed to be like a snapshot in time but. I, I just felt like I kind of missed the the like a fight between two combiners should be pretty epic and I feel like not you know it's it's kind of like the artistic version of Dull Surprise I guess where it's like it doesn't quite convey how like epic this is like and it, it's funny how like it it seems almost mundane even though there's two robots like beating the hell out of each other in a city. Like, I, I guess that's the only way I could describe it, because there's, like, these panels where, you know, it, it's almost like Superion just gives kind of Devastate a quick love tap, and then he falls into the ocean type thing, or, you know, there's there's the, the, the panel where Superion kind of halts Devastate's, like, arm from coming down on the woman and the baby, and it's like, you it, it since it's so much of the same panel, you almost barely it, it barely registers that that's what happened like there could have been a better way to i think convey that sense of action i guess to, well, to you know just just in my my opinion i'll give you one better uh earlier in the story um when the autobots are up in the arctic base or whatever and they kick in the room where the virus was created i had to read that page three times to figure out what the hell was going yeah. on yeah yeah, there's there's a lot of things like that where you're like, what is going on exactly? Yeah, and and yeah. and kind of like we were discussing the confusion with that last page of the last issue. There's there's a lot of that kind of, I think, just I I don't necessarily think the ideas are bad, but I think a lot of the storytelling execution is bad. It's like it's not a bad idea to have two combiners go at it in the city, but I I just think the way they executed some of it was was kind of poor. Now, now that you've taken the blinders off and you're ruining this freaking comic for me, um, <laughs> I see that Grimlock's proportions don't make a lot of sense either. Because, like, he's the size of a Tyrannosaurus Rex smashing apart the town. 
Well, when he's a robot, he's not that big. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. he's Optimus size, which is a truck. So, it, it, yeah, the proportion of that doesn't work either. Yeah, like, I mean, the size has never been a consistent thing in Transformers. But, like, you, if you want to, you know, if you want to say, ter- like, a Grimlock turns into a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex, then, like, okay, that's fine. But you've got to keep him at that scale in every single, like, you know, panel. It's like he can't suddenly turn into a normal size, like, Tyrannosaurus Rex in one panel or whatever. Yeah, because you're right. When he smashes up against the building, his proportions are even bigger at that point. Because you're like, each one of those windows represents 10 feet. You know, it's right. like, oh, wait, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. It's a but, good point. Uh, God, you're, also, you're speak- ruining this for me. <laughs> Sorry. I, you know um, what's funny? In that in that panel where Grimlock does smash into the building, I, I kind of hate the look on Megatron's face when he gets punched in the face by Optimus. Like, it, almost, it, it, it almost looks like, you know, like, I don't know, like Optimus, like, stole his, like, I don't know, makeup kit or something. Like he just looks like really like he looks bent out of shape, but like not in the, I don't know, not in a villainous way. It's almost like you know, it's like he stole his jelly bean or something. I don't know. It just it just looks kind of weird. When we're, when we're talking about like stuff that uh, like storytelling wise, like really like twists your mind and like uh, knots trying to figure out like the beginning of this issue, like. The aftermath of the bomb exploding, like the metal virus turned into a giant dome. Like, I don't get it. Like, wait, so the bomb exploded and then the virus like turned into a giant dome and then they're all in the dome. And like, I, I don't know, like, I, I feel like that could have been conveyed like better. Like the the, the virus like explode all, all all over them and then like solidify or something. And I, I don't know. It's like, what came first, the dome or the bomb? Like, you know, the chicken or the egg? Like, I don't I don't get it. Like, well, I, I had it in my head how it worked. But the more again, the more I think about it, it starts to fall apart, which was I, the explosion happened. The virus absorbed the energy. So the explosion stopped and transformed into a, into, a, uh, into this, you know, semi uh, half uh, sphere, which is fine. That works for me until I stop and think, no, wait a minute. When the bomb went off, everything on the inside should have been incinerated, yeah, and yet yeah. nothing inside is yeah. damaged at all. I did like though. It's funny though when they're like they're talking about getting everybody out. They're like, "Well, Superion's a major concern," and his fist just comes through the roof like. Never mind. <laughs> that was funny. I like that. That, yeah. was, that was a cute bit. That was a, that, that was a decently written gag. Yeah. Although, like, I, I, I did, I, I forgot to mention it last issue, but like, I guess it, it gets brought into sharper focus here, like. If Superion was in that fight last issue and Devastator wasn't, then that was a win for the Autobots. Like, if they hadn't gotten bombed, then, like, you know, Megatron and those guys would have had to beat feet out of there because Superion would have kicked their asses. So it's like, what was their plan? Like, if that if they hadn't gotten bombed, like, and there wasn't an excuse to exit the situation, like. But then again, like. Maybe they didn't know the Autobots were going to show up, though, because the Autobots, you know, find their base at that point, though, right? Yeah, I guess they were just kind of pl- planning on beating feet no matter what. But it's yeah. kind of, and like Derek said, that fight wasn't like expertly portrayed or anything. Like I think Superion shows up for a panel or whatever. But like it's kind of like you know you have a giant robot. Like uh, he's kind of your trump card. So. But are we all in agreement? This uh, of Devastator coming out of the water by the the Golden Gate Bridge is pretty amazing. I think I think if you ignore, like the the kind of scale issues and you just appreciate like the splash page kind of epicness of it. Like I I can kind of get behind it. I still kind of wonder like what the fuck Devastator is standing on like exactly. But other than that, like (laughs) I I get why you like it. 
He's walking on the water. He's walking at the bottom of the bay. Come on. I mean, he's already, I don't know, he's man. already like, like 80 feet tall, so he's 80 feet under the water or whatever. So, But, but yeah, the scale doesn't work. So you look at the size of the boat right there, and you're thinking yeah. like, well, the thing on his arm's a crane. That is the biggest freaking crane ever compared to that <laughs> yeah. boat. Yeah. Or scoop, not a crane, but a scoop, you know, or whatever. So. And, yeah, yeah. And just, just because the wiki brings it up in their notes because they can't help laughing at it, and I've got to laugh at it too, like – the, the way Superion gets defeated, the Starscream and his guys uh, unleash the dreaded triangle formation. And I'm kind of, it's like Starscream flying straight while Thundercracker and Skywarp flank him and sort of fly into his path. So I'm like, if you guys kept going forward, you would have all crashed into each other. Like, But, but it's like the, the wiki has like a single note for that where it's like triangle formation, snort. Like, like. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then Superior like pops off. Like, uh, I used to have these aliens toys, um, where they were uh, from when Aliens Three came out, and I had one that was a scorpion thing. And you press a button in the back, and he just pops apart into like eight piece or six pieces or something like that. And Superior just kind of goes pop, pop, literally pops apart, which is like uh, a little hard to buy. Yeah, like, Superion and Exploding Ghost Rider are like secret brothers or whatever. <laughs> that, that old Toy Biz toy that like fell apart. If you just like looked at it funny, it's like <laughs> it would just be like <laughs> very very accurate to the the real Superion. Yeah, yeah it's like, <laughs> really <laughs> very like you could just like kind of breathe on him and his like you know oh no like Fireflight and Slingshot fell off his shoulders. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think I think Superion was more stable to devastate. I would. I, oh yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah, but it's like you could drop the, those, those little connectors would like snap off if you banged them against the wall or something like. But yeah, like it, it, I don't know. I think it's kind of lame that he gets blown up by a couple missiles too. But whatever. His fan aura was like switched off at that moment. Well, and then Devastate is the one holding him up as if he beat him too, and like, look yeah, what I did. Yeah. No, you didn't. You know, yeah. so he fell to the dreaded triangle formation. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, I think we've sufficiently ruined my love of this issue, so what's next? <laughs> All right, so... Oh, go ahead, Derek. I was just going to say, it's interesting that this is the issue where it starts to fall apart, because in terms of sales numbers, it, it's not that it got beat out by any other company, but this month, the issue did not rank number one on the Diamond list, because Transformers Armada number one came out. So Transformers oh. number one outsold it, and this issue was second place that month so i just thought that'd be worth pointing out so they were legitimately beating x-men and yeah yep. yeah it was like it, it was like the other titles that were were out at the time were like it was ultimate x-men ultimate spider-man it was um new x-men like the morrison stuff it was sure. jms's amazing spider-man you know like whatever was like super hot so and marvel at the so time. Der- derek like, you could like you could technically show like someone like that episode of armada like carnival or something and be like you know at one point this was more popular than the x-men like i could i could <laughs> i i'd I, like at one point this outsold kevin smith's run on spider-man and the black cat like that's 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 how much uh importance it had oh man billy 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 Billy, Billy, Jesus Christ, that. why don't you shut up? I was yap, yap, yapping all the time. Give me a fucking headache. Yeah, let's. I guess we'll move on to issue number five. Uh, and like I said, significantly, like the last issue came out in July of 2002. This issue ca- comes out in September of 2002. Like, Man. Yeah, three months later. Yeah. So good job, Pat Lee. Like, and, and, and this is the issue that I, I kind of mentioned earlier that 
there's I, I I don't know if I can point out specific things, but I feel like there's a stylistic change in some of the scenes. And like, I think this is where Pat Lee started heavily relying on like ghost artists to like finish mm. his for him. So, but yeah, let, let me do the summary and then we'll get into that. Um, Spike is under lock and key in the Pentagon due to General Hallow's orders. To his surprise, a note is slipped under his door. Three o'clock. Be ready. In the Northwest Territories, the Autobots try to warn some hikers about the danger to the human race from the cyber virus, but the recent attacks by Decepticons have the humans running scared of all Transformers. Wheeljack explains that the blasters he designed will effectively destroy the virus, and but the devices are powered by the Autobots' own internal systems, which means that the power depletion will weaken them. As they start blasting away, Jazz gets an emergency call for backup from Trailbreaker. The battle in San Francisco looks bleak after the loss of Superion. After Devastator stomps on Trailbreaker and smacks Sideswipe and Sunstreaker away, he turns his attention to Optimus Prime. The Autobot leader transforms and makes a suicide run, leaps into Devastator's chest, and fires point-blank into the Combiner's face. Devastator falls back into the ocean as Prime, wasted by the effort, lifts himself onto shore, only to find Megatron waiting for him. It's 2.59 and Spike is expecting Hallow to come and kill him, but the person who opens the door to his cell is someone he didn't expect. Up north, the Autobots are still battling the virus and appear to be winning, but the power drain is making them so weak that they have to speak in halting sentences. To make matters worse, an armored division of the Canadian military arrives and demand that they stand down. In the Pentagon, Larry the Janitor helps Spike escape, and when the pair are concealed, he hands over a file folder labeled Lazarus Project. He explains that Hallow and an engineer named Adam Rook tried to build their own transforming robots five years ago, but when their efforts failed, they plotted to control the real Transformers. After the Decepticon defeat, Rook came up with a program to override and control the captured robots. Hallow didn't want to stop with just Decepticons. Larry reveals that Hallow planned and carried out the explosion of the Ark II to eliminate the Autobots as well. However, Hallow didn't expect Rook to turn traitor and disappear from the project along with the Decepticons that same day. Upon learning that his father was murdered, Spike declares Larry a coward, takes his keycard, and leaves the janitor to stew in his own conscience. In San Francisco, the Autobots have been rounded up and disabled, and Megatron is pointing out to a damaged and exhausted Optimus Prime all the failings of humans and how he pities the Autobots for protecting such a primitive race. Megatron tells Optimus to say the word, and they can end the war and remake Earth to Megatron's satisfaction. Back at the Pentagon, the military is monitoring the Transformers' battle. Hollow calls for the nuclear option. When his troops question the order, he holds them off at gunpoint, enters his launch code, and orders that the warhead's coordinates be set to San Francisco to be concluded. <laughs> so, yeah, so, like, I didn't know that one person could launch a nuclear missile, but okay. As long as his arm's long enough to do both keys, sure. Yeah. The, the big win for me in this is that you got my mini cars fighting the virus, which made me very happy. Um, except the scales, I realize now, wildly out of proportion. Like when you got Cliff Jumper, he's laying there, and I do like the scene where the tank comes up and points the gun at his head. That's cute. But if Cliff Jumper turns into a Porsche and he's like three times as big as a tank, that doesn't really work. Indubitably, yes. 
Mm. And that's that's yet another like repeated like background panel where the tank gets closer and closer to his head. Like <laughs> that's true. Like I, I love pointing out these these uh, occurrences because they like I said they've become more frequent in this second half of the series. Yeah, Derek, I think I stepped on you. You were going to say something there. Oh, all I was going to say was that like what I mentioned last issue where uh, Armada outsold Generation One. This is the only time that a book outsold Generation One, but the only reason why is this was when Mark Wade's FF run was about to start, and the the introductory book was nine cents. Mm. So so that sold like I don't know something crazy like you know seven hundred thousand copies because it was like nine cents. So but other than that, it was it was top selling book that one. But but the only reason why it didn't was because. They, they had, I think it was FF60, because that's like, the I think it's like the beginning of Mark Wade's run. Hmm. So it was only, it was only nine cents. So it was supposed to be like one of those introductory things, like where they had like, you know, the Batman 10 cent adventure. Oh, yeah. I think they did it for Superman it, too. So yep. like they were all kind of, they you know, basically, I guess the, the caveat is other than a publicity stunt, like the, the, this issue of generation one was still the top selling book of the month. Hmm. Impressive. So the, the janitor guy, like, I'm assuming, because I have a problem with him suddenly coming forward with all this information that he's just held on to for years and gives it to a practically a stranger and all this stuff. Um, I'm assuming the folks in general aren't thrilled with that. And the art on him is pretty bad as far as, like, the way Pat Lee represents him as an old man is he draws squiggle lines on his uh, right above his eyebrows. That's, <laughs> that, that's supposed to represent old man. So that, that didn't go over too well with me. This is, yeah, like, some of these scenes, I'm like, I, like I said, I'm unconvinced Pat Lee even drew. Like, like, I think like there's an exp- like there's a scene like towards the end where Megatron is like, you know, join me, Optimus Prime, you know, and together we will rule the earth or whatever. And there's like this reaction shot from Optimus Prime. And like I was looking at it and I was like, that doesn't look like something Pat Lee would draw. Like, no. it, like, yeah, like, like it looks like I don't know. It's got to be one of his like, fill in like underpaid interns or something like drawing some of those scenes because I don't know. There's there's a very subtle like if you take I think if you take a picture of Spike from this issue and compare it to Spike from the first issue, you're like the, the same person didn't draw that those characters. Like, I don't know, like maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but it, like the things we know about Pat Lee now, like that, you know, well, I guess we're like we're t- we're 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 spoiling yeah, we, it for you, Shag. Yeah, well, but we, we should we should we should go into it by now. Yeah, we're here. We're so tell me what's going on. Like, so, yeah, but it's now, like they, now there's two inkers on this, though. Bear in mind, the other issues, I think, only had one inker, and this issue's got two inkers. Does that make a difference? That, that, that could, could, yeah. Yeah. But it's, I, apparently it's like what we know is that, like, a ton of, like, lithographs and posters from this era are mm-hmm. all credited to Pat Lee. But what we do know now is, like, he didn't draw, like, almost any of them. <laughs> like, <gasps> they, they, yeah, they were, like, all, like, drawn by, like, probably guys like Edwin Garcia and, like, you know, guys who were, like, working under him and stuff. So that that kind of threw into question, like, well, did he draw, like, any of this series then? Like, so... It's it's almost like, like, for, for Transformers fans, like, Pat Lee is the Bob Kane of... Sure. The, the sure. franchise. Yeah. Know? Okay. He's, he's, he's that uh, disliked. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Well, Lifefield did some of that too, where he would, uh, they were uncredited stuff for artists, artists that didn't get paid. There was a lot of yeah, that. Yeah. And Pat, oh, Pat Lee did all that too. Like, that's why 
that's why Dream Dreamwave eventually died because like everyone jumped ship because they weren't being paid. Wow. Now I I told uh, Derek this before we recorded, and, and I don't think I mentioned to you, Mike. My stepson actually had a poster on his wall from the Dreamwave era of uh, of Transformers. He he wasn't a huge Transformers fan. He was he was a mild one, but he thought it was such a cool poster with um. Was it Red Alert? I think it was. Yeah, Red, Red Alert and an Inferno, I think. Yeah, it was a great poster. poster, and I loved it. It was so cool. So now you're telling me it wasn't a Padley drawing, probably? <laughs> it, that one, like, if I'm remembering correctly, like, I think it's also the cover of issue six, too. Yeah. And, like, yeah, like, that one That one kind of looks like a Patley thing, and the reason I can tell it's a Patley thing is because the freaking poses are, like, freaking weird and like he, he does the force perspective with like i think inferno's hands where they're like gi- ginormous and okay like a, yeah it's the, and like the poses are like typical pat lee like i gotta take a shit robot poses or whatever <laughs> like like uh, i don't know so I, i'm willing to say that that he might have drawn that but like you know some of the art in these two issues like i'm not so certain about like I, I don't like I don't think we'll ever know like exactly what how much work he did do like Simon Furman who was like writing the Armada comic for most of its run like he said like he has, I think he has a quote somewhere where he says like you know when Pat Lee drew one of my issues like he gave me a a page of like original art for like before you know any of the like inking or coloring was done and I was kind of like man there's so fucking little art on this like like oh, he wow. said no one there's no backgrounds there's like characters missing like and he was kind of like you know Pat Lee told me it was a work in progress but now it's like you know I feel like you know it's a work in progress in so far as he was going to hand it off to his interns to do all the finishing touches on it or whatever now and, and I'm only I'm not. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just saying conversational. I mean, this did used to happen a lot in the old days too. Like Dick Giordano, you know, is famous for not inking stuff that he's credited for. That he had, you know, people in his studio that would ink stuff for him, and his name went on it. Um, I'm not saying that's okay, but there is a precedent of this in comic book history. It is very sad to think that this is what was going on. Especially Pat Lee was the friggin' art director. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, the the other thing that I kind of tended to notice because I was getting so heavily into manga and anime at the same time and it has those aesthetics to the the work, like there's also kind of the like I think in Japan this is not necessarily as frowned upon, like it's almost a common practice where, you know, the head artist, you know, the art director for lack of a better term, will be the person whose name is on the manga and get credited, but they're not going to draw like 20 million ramen boxes. Like where yeah. it's like the, the, you know, the intern will draw the ramen boxes cause you know, they're busy drawing, you know, I don't know the, the, the lead character or the main profile or whatever it is. And so like, I, I did have those thoughts at the time, kind of like, like you're espousing where you're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's just coming from a different place. You know, it's a different business model and this and that, but I, I don't know. I think I think some of the other stuff that it's not so much that he had ghost artists, but I think the fact is like ultimately like Dreamwave went bankrupt and n- even the people who were credited didn't even get paid for the work they did. Oh, yeah. So it's like Awful. it's like that that kind of stuff is kind of bad. And then and then you go into like all these stories about I mean, we'll, we'll probably I'm sure Michael share some like funny, you know, like uh, comic strips with you and stuff like that. But like. I mean, they're, they're basically stories of like, 
you know, oh, Pat Lee went out and bought like, you know, 20 Ferraris or whatever. But meanwhile, like the guy who actually did the art on, you know, whatever it was, Micromasters, like never got paid, you know, it's like, who was it? Who was it? Was it Guido Giddy? Like, I'm trying to remember like which artists like Don Figueroa and like Alex Milne got like screwed the worst. I think like, Mm. like they, they got like zero, like Pat Lee was having them like, you know, ghost draw for him or, or just not outright paying them for the work they'd already hung it, uh, like handed in. And then like when Dreamwave went bankrupt, like all those artists had to also pay the like FedEx costs for all the art they had already <gasps> shipped to like Dreamwave because like oh, Dream- wow like it was like a super dicey situation and like you know I think it's something like each of those like TF Wiki pages for those artists like some of them it says like under the like main thing it's like Pat Lee still owes this man like ten grand or something like oh like, wow yeah. so where's Pat yeah, Lee like, now. No one knows. Like he, I think he moved to like Hong Kong or something. And like it, they said, he was like running some like fashion company or something for a while, but that tanked. And then mm. like like right after Dreamwave collapsed, they tried to like relaunch it as Dream Engine, and then that collapsed in like a year. And then like he had like Pat Lee Productions, and then that collapsed. Like he he was asked to leave Pat Lee Productions because his business like skills oh, wow. were so, like shitty. So. Like that's that's sort of that, that really does. I mean, there's a lot of echoes here, of Rob Liefeld, because Rob Liefeld, you know, left yeah. Image and formed Extreme, then he got fired from Extreme. I mean, he got fired yeah. from his own studio. Like, like, like you said, like there is precedent for this in like the industry, but like the thing that makes Pat Lee such a fucking douchebag is that he like there was a house style in effect at Dreamwave where all the artists were encouraged or enforced to draw just like Pat Lee, and right. like. No one like virtually like most of those guys like Don Figueroa and uh, Guido Giddy who have like real talent and like do, like our workhorses like they didn't like adhere to that too closely. But then you got like other people where you're like, oh, yeah, they're kind of drawing like the puffy boxes, robots, kind of like Pat Lee does. Like it, and you can kind of like once you analyze this stuff, like, you know, I was reading every single Transformers comic that was coming out at this time. So it's like once I had these all like in a row in front of me, I could kind of like point out, oh, yeah, I kind of see that. Like th- these guys who were probably like Pat Lee's like protégés are all like drawn like him and stuff. So, wow, man. This sucks. I hate this <laughs> so, comic now. Well, ch- ch- check this out. I'm going to put this in the chat box because this is one of my favorite little comic strips or whatever. And so they've got Hot Rod there who is basically a, a Revel Tech Transformer who kind of has the puffy design. And so they're kind of making fun of Pat Lee where they're like, Hot Rod is the newest Pat Lee-based design to join the Revel Tech Transformers figure line. And Hot Rod's there kind of with his finger up going, oh, hey there, Pat. You think I could get my check for that last modeling session? And Pat Lee's walking away, not even looking at him, going, no problemo. I'll hook you up tomorrow. Uh, you said that yesterday. It's in the mail. It it is. Sorry, non parlo inglés. And he's just kind of like walking off. But I think that's kind of a symptom for all these people that sort of kind of got, you know, taken by Pat Lee and the whole mm-hmm. kind of enterprise and everything because it's just a sort of reflection on it. But I, I I think there's plenty of like comic strips and different things where they sort of make fun of the the entire, I guess, business practice persona whatever. of Pat Lee. Like yeah. Wow. 
Oh, uh, like man. I, I'll, like after we finish like recording like Shag, I, I got to link you to like the TF Wiki page for Pat Lee because it's 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 simultaneously like hilarious and like like sad and you know kind of like like the entire drama is like spelled out on that page and like I don't know it's it's, it's a lot of reading but if you were ever curious it's like sure, a great yeah. it's a great resource for like all his shady dealings and like his <sighs> your eyes will be opened basically like. Well, it's but, sad, too, that, you know, if, if he then went on to try and create more companies, that the goal of that wasn't to try and pay the people that he owed money to. You know, like, yeah, if, if you're going to yeah. try and make good, then you should try and, you know, make good on the people you owe money to, not just walk away and keep trying to, you know, pay for your Ferraris. Man. Did his Ferraris transform at least? Because then maybe it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I'm, think only. so. But uh, speaking of Ferraris, and I guess getting back to, like, this issue, like, at hand, you might, like, there's that cool, like, it's so pretty cool, like, decent group shot of, like, like you said, Shag, like, all your favorite guys, like, the mini bots and stuff. Yay! And, yeah, you'll, you'll also notice all the way on the right, like, above them, like, with the taller Autobots is Red Alert, like, who, who transforms. Is on the far right? Okay. Yeah, he transforms into like a fire chief, like Ferrari mm-hmm. kind of. Well, apparently, like, and this is like uh, like a, um, a point of trivia. Pat Lee drew Sideswipe there, like in the original art. Now, Sideswipe is currently fighting in San Francisco with Devastator. So like everyone was like, oh crap! Like like he didn't he couldn't even be bothered to know what Autobots were where. So what they did was since Sideswipe and Red Alert are the same toy, just like a different color scheme, they just re <laughs> they recolored Sideswipe as Red Alert, and that's why Red <laughs> Alert in that scene. And then so it kind of goes back to the whole like most of the characters were the original season one characters, but this is like the one exception because it's kind of like, you know, Cable's cybernetic arm is on his left arm. No, it's on his right arm, you know, and it was like they kind of like sideswipes, you know, in the middle of the Antarctic. But no, he's he's in San Francisco, but he's back in, you know, so. So this could be a perfect example of the ghost writer, ghost artist then. Maybe one artist team was doing one scene, you know, one scene, the other one was doing the other one. That would explain why they didn't realize the Transformer was there. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, lack of communication, I guess. Yeah, but and then the other thing I want to bring up, and it's like I, it, it, it's my avatar too. Is this is the infamous like Optimus Prime driving scene where it's another yet another scene where Pat Lee drew or whoever drew the same image like three times and just zoomed in on it, and it's just a above shot of Optimus Prime like you know driving. But the funny part about it is like if you look closely, like Optimus Prime has like three wheels in the wrong place on his like right side <laughs> and then like two wheels like on the left side and i'm kind of like whoever drew this did they know how many wheels a fucking truck has like what the right. hell <laughs> i don't like even the i'm looking at the wikis like errors like section it's like seriously how does this happen like <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because i had noticed this exact picture not for the wheels i didn't pick up on that but the fact that you look at it and you're like oh i can totally see those are his legs and normally with transformers you can't tell where the the transforming yeah. scenes are and this one it's like oh those are those are those are legs yep i get it okay yeah, instead of, i always think that's kind of a lazy like bit of transformer artwork where instead of drawing a legitimate truck, they just model after the toy, complete with all like the toy seams. Yeah. And like, you know, like some people even draw the friggin' like screws on the toy. Like, I'm like, what well, dude? Like, <laughs> that shouldn't be a thing. Like, okay. 
<sighs> but yeah, but I mean, you know, like it, it's a pretty badass scene anyway. I mean, Optimus jumps up into Devastator's face and shoots him, and you know, you know, it's the kind of scene you'd expect to see from Optimus Prime. I think I think this kind of influenced the the Devastation video game. I feel like because like there there's those aspects where I'm looking at it and then. It kind of is giving me flashbacks to like all the cutscenes in that video game where you could tell people were at least keen on the, you know, if not necessarily all the execution, just the concept and the idea seemed really cool where it, it it's kind of like, you know, the whole David Goliath thing. And then, you know, David beats up Goliath, you know, so you're like, oh, this is this is pretty, you know, as far as epic kind of moments go like that, that's probably one of the most epic moments that this this has there's also kind of a callback to the whole i guess the 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 idea to bring sort of consequence to the battles because you can see you know megatron's trying to convince prime and it's not like he didn't try to do this in the cartoon like there were i I keep thinking of like the ultimate doom which is like a three-part thing where you know they try to bring cybertron into earth's orbit and eventually he you know megatron essentially you know he's kind of like you know megatron's like you will bring the final pyre to bring cybertron to earth and and you know optimus is kind of like fat chance fat head and like doing all this stuff but by the end of it it's like he has to do it because if he doesn't bring cybertron to earth cybertron's going to get torn apart and destroyed so like megatron kind of you know psychs him out and he has to do it but in this like megatron's trying to sort of convince him look at humanity humanity is a bunch of scumbags and they're all you know, they're, they're leaving people behind in the middle of this chaos. There's people looting, you know, stealing TVs and, you know, there's there's news media and all they care about is getting a story and their satellite link. And they're not actually trying to, you know, help anyone or do anything of merit. You know, there's people carjacking and all that kind of stuff. So they they're, they're trying to, I think, play on that aspect of, you know, this takes place in the quote unquote you know, real world where, you know, humanity is sketchy and we're not all good people that, you know, deserve to be saved from the Decepticons type thing. And so like, there's that, there's that aspect to it. And I think, you know, by, by the next issue, they try to bring up the counterpoint, but, but they really ended on, you know, Megatron's making a really, a really good argument to prime. Like you think he might actually convince him to kind of go along with his scheme at some point. Well, it definitely is a good argument, but I, I want to go back just a bit because I can't believe I'm going to be the one to argue this with the two Transformers nerds in the room. But uh, the scene where Optimus took out Devastator was complete bullshit to me because <laughs> there's no there's no reason for him to be able to take it. You're talking about David and Goliath. Well, there was build up there with like, you know, this he swung and he swung and all. That. There's nothing here. Optimus just drove at him and then fired his gun. I mean, that's all he did. It's like, well, why didn't you do that every day of the week? You know, so there was no like special super weapon that only works one time, you know, or anything like that. So I, I read that and I was like, really, seriously, is that easy to take out Devastator? Okay. Yeah. So I, I even though it's the big hero moment, or from a role playing perspective, he you know used a hero point or whatever, but it, I, I didn't buy it. He didn't have two other guys to do the triangle formation, so right. he had to do something else. <laughs> he yeah. had to do something else. I I'd feel like a hypocrite because I think one of my favorite stories is from the Marvel series from issue twenty five where Megatron takes down Predaking. So like if that's my favorite Transformers comic and it's Megatron like taking out the Predacons in their merged form, like I, I can't like 
bad mouth prime doing it to devastate a, I guess if that makes sense. Like yeah, and the the other does. thing too that I'd sort of argue is like if if your bar is Transformers the movie, the only movie Transformers the movie, the animated one from 1986. <laughs> right. Like if you that's mean the, your, the the real one you mean? Yes, the <laughs> real movie. If if that's your bar, I mean Prime pretty much gets out of the Autobot shuttle and takes out all the Decepticons before he fights with Megatron. So uh, if you're if you're going from it from not only the nostalgic point of view, but you're trying to bring in those fans, like I think that's what this sequence was supposed to represent. It was supposed to be the you, you you're supposed to hear the you got the touch music playing in the background <laughs> when he drives down and when you know Pat Lee or whoever it is like pans on that overhead like you're sure. supposed to hear you know Stan Bush singing in the background and when he like you know shoots him in the face and knocks him over it's supposed to be like oh look like you know he, he managed to somehow do this and pull it off and it's not like I mean they, they don't try to act like he's just you know smooth and cool after he does it like he basically collapses and he, you know it's not like he can do anything against Megatron at that point because he's spent he's you know he, he put all he had into it so I, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll still defend that only because, like I said, I feel like a hypocrite because I, like I said, my favorite Transformers comic is one where Megatron does the same thing to one of his own combiner guys whose shockwave sends after him. So that's, that's my take on it. You make a fair argument. Uh, I would like to say that pretty much at all times in my life, you've got the touch just playing in the background. I'm just there saying, anywhere, even when I'm going to the bathroom, it's just, you've got the touch. Yeah, it's always there. Either that or dare. <laughs> well, that's a different moment. You can win, you can, you can win if you can dare. But, uh, uh, you've ruined another issue for me. Thank you, boys. <laughs> there's, there's one minor thing I want to bring up before we move on, and this is like a sort of Transformer nerd thing, and it kind I guess it kind of falls in that same category I mentioned about Grimlock and Superion feeling off, and I think that's because Chris Saracini wasn't as big a Transformers fan as like, you know, we may uh, initially appear. Uh, I feel like he's miscast Trailbreaker as like a strong guy. Cause like last issue, like Trailbreaker, like clocked Grimlock in the face with a girder. And he was like, I'm going to take you on Grimlock. And then in this issue, like Devastator, like steps on Trailbreaker and he's like holding up Devastator's foot for a couple seconds before he gets crushed. And like, I, I kind of feel like that he's like, well, Trailbreaker turns into like a camper truck, so he must be a strong guy, and that's not really what Trailbreaker is about. Like he's Trailbreaker is like a scout, and he's like the force field guy, and like Trailbreaker doesn't even use his force field against Devastator. So I don't mm. know. Couldn't you? Couldn't you argue though? Like it's like Superboy, Connell, tactile telekinesis thing, like where he's not really being the strong guy. It, he's if you want to know, field? yeah. Like, like if yeah. you want to no prize it, but yeah. like I, I like Trailbreaker's the kind of guy who like wouldn't take on Grimlock alone, basically. <laughs> like I, I did, I did think that sequence was kind of BS when he when he smacks Grimlock with that girder because I was like, that's not gonna stop Grimlock, like. Yeah, but like that's just one of those minor little nitpicks that I feel where I'm like, you know, like you kind of vaguely remember this character, but you don't remember the exact specifics about them. So he's like, oh, yeah, he looked like a strong guy. So he's the strong guy here. Like, OK, like, 
but yeah, that's just a nitpick of mine. But uh, anything else about this issue? I, I did just stumble across something because I hate you guys. Again, you've ruined this for me. Uh, all right, go to the page where Devastator's hovering over the city and Optimus is facing him. Uh, it's a big dramatic, like you're looking at Optimus' back and you're looking up at um, Devastator because we're Autobots, we fight, that's what we do. You know, you're on that page? Yeah. All right, look at Optimus, right? Look at the colors, look at the angles, look at the way he's designed. Go to the next page. Look at that Optimus. Yeah. Then go one more page and look at Optimus again. The page in the middle, the one where it has Optimus transforming with the infamous three wheels, is clearly drawn by a different artists. Yep. I mean, that yeah. is night and day. Yep. Yeah, like, I think, look at the very end of this issue where, like, Megatron makes his, uh, like, offer to Optimus, and Optimus has that sort of, like, shocked expression. Like, I'm like, Patley didn't draw that. Like, that that's way too much emotion from Optimus Prime <laughs> Patley to have drawn. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. <sighs> Man. Yeah, so definitely, like there were there were shenanigans afoot here, and like we may never know the exact extent of how many shenanigans were afoot. But reminds yeah. me a little bit of the stories about Platinum Studios. A lot of uh, sh- not not artistic shenanigans, but a lot of shenanigans going on behind the scenes with the the guy who headed that up and um, who was involved as the the, the 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 I guess you call him kind of the showrunner and the money guy. So yeah, there's a lot of that I guess in the independent comic book realm. <sighs> Anything else, Derek or? No, I'm I'm good. I mean, I I think you know, this is, yeah, I'm good. Okay, let's 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 finish it off, and let me do the summary for issue number six. Defense minister, and I guess I should put that in quotations because I we the United States does not have a defense minister. Uh, Dawson. <laughs> And the, the president of the United States are getting a sit rep on the San Francisco battle when the CIA breaks in with news that the city has been targeted by a nuclear missile from the American arsenal. The president frantically orders to abort the launch, but he's too late. In the Northwest Territories, a misguided tank commander of the Canadian military orders the Autobots to lower their weapons. When Wheeljack tries to explain, the tanks open fire and a viral wave heads straight for the humans. In San Francisco, Megatron explains to Optimus Prime that he ordered all the devastation on the city just to get Prime's attention. Still wary, Optimus tells Megatron to shut up and that he'll defend humans even if they betray him and his own troops abandon his cause. Just as Megatron decides to end Optimus's life once and for all, the sound of honking distracts him. Prime jumps out of the way as three fire engines driven by humans come racing down a broken freeway and slam into the Decepticons, exploding. Prime uses the distraction to quickly free his captured troops and then tells the Autobots that he wants their heads but save Megatron for him. In the Pentagon, General Hallow has already tipped over the edge of insanity and is gleefully watching the nuclear countdown. Spike Wiki bursts in and announces the General's complicity in the destruction of Arc 2 and the deaths of the humans on board. Hallow swings his gun in Spike's direction and tells him to enjoy the show. Back in Canada, the cybervirus is eating up the Canadian tanks and their human operators. Their interference has stymied Wheeljack's plan to stop the virus. Jazz and Wheeljack can't agree if they should retreat or stay and try to find some last-ditch solution. Wheeljack has an epiphany and races off towards a human settlement without explanation. Meanwhile, Hallow is still holding Spike at gunpoint and ranting about safeguarding the security of the United States. Luckily for Spike, the President and several armed officers arrive. When Hallow turns his gun on them, he's shot down. 
In San Francisco, Optimus and the Autobots are making short work of the Decepticons. Optimus decides that taking Megatron captive isn't good enough this time, but Soundwave's alert of an incoming nuclear projectile makes him pause. Despite his damaged state, Megatron laughs at the irony. The Aerialbots merge into Superion and take off, while in Canada, Wheeljack hooks himself up to a satellite dish. He uses the last of his power to blast the virus, just as Superion flies into the nuclear missile, causing a huge explosion in Tidal Wave. Spike wakes Optimus Prime and lets him know the Decepticons have fled and the missile was stopped. The Autobots uncover Grimlock from the rubble and Optimus offers the Dinobot a place back in their ranks, but Grimlock refuses and walks off. Prime assesses the personal toll this last battle has had on his troops and how things will never be the same. Little does he know that up north, Jazz is cradling Wheeljack's seemingly lifeless body. The end. Until it wasn't. <laughs> so, so Mike, refresh my memory. I just want to make sure I'm right. Superion stays dead, but Wheeljack's like, everything's cool, right? Yeah, in that next series, they're like, yeah, Wheeljack's fine. Like, that bullshit never happened. Yep. Oh. It's, it's, it's like they totally ignore... or Like, like next next miniseries, they do total damage control on this series. Like, it's like, Wheeljack's still alive. Uh, the only reason Grimlock was with the Decepticons was because they were holding the other Dinobots hostage and not because he chose to be with them. So, oh. like, they, they do total retcons and, like, damage control with that. Hmm. All right. I haven't reread that one in, since it was well, since it came out. Wow. Okay. It's a very yes, downbeat it, ending. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say, but yes, Superion stays dead for the entirety of Dreamwave before it collapsed. So. Yeah. Hmm. Now, was any of the Dreamwave continuity picked up when they went to IDW? Isn't no, what, not real. What about like? Didn't they try to? What did they finish? Like, remember how Simon Furman did? war within or whatever like what yeah was any of that or that was totally scrapped when they went over to idw no, well what happened was it was such a sticky legal situation at the end that idw didn't want to like there were there was finished art and finished scripts for some of those things that like got cut off but it, like idw had no idea who had been properly compensated for their work so uh, they were like well we're not we're not going to touch any of that stuff so what uh, yeah what what they did do was um Simon Furman eventually released all the scripts for his unfinished work and uh I think like like some like other Dreamwave artists eventually released like just for free like some of some of the work they had done but you know none of them got like compensated for it so you know gotcha. I, I know yeah the writers of that ongoing series said we're never going to reveal our plans like what we had going because you know we, we we had a whole like you know couple years of stories planned and we're you know we're keeping that for ourselves mm. now so everyone was like oh well you know mm. I guess you know what could have been but and IDW just started fresh when they got the license so all right okay now is, was this the first did Marvel often have these sort of like you know pyrrhic victories you know the the downbeat endings like this or was this kind of a new thing for Transformers. Marvel definitely did yeah. have these a lot of times. Like, oh, okay. Mar Mar the Marvel Transformers, like human populace, were basically like you know the the humans in an X Men comic. It's like no matter what okay. you do, we hate you. Like you know, like 
Like gotcha. you can, I think you can even see that in in uh, either issue five or four of this series, where Optimus saves those people, and then as soon as they put him down, they're like, "Get away from us, you killer!" Like, yep, that was a very X Men moment. Good point. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as art goes, you know, there's an interesting page which cracks me up. Like it's towards the end. It's after Optimus has been knocked out. Then you get that page of repeating panels, which I know Mike likes so much. Uh, <laughs> and then you have the panel where Optimus is laying there in the ground. After, you know, an atomic bomb went off, which, by the way, apparently atomic bombs don't have any radiation or fallout in this Dreamwave universe because everybody's fine. But Optimus is laying there, right? And then he slowly gets up. You know, sometimes in comics when they draw a woman like in a, either a superhero outfit or a bikini and the artist just screws up and makes the breasts way too separated. Just there's like miles of uh, flesh <laughs> in between the two breasts. It's like that with his windows here. Like his windows <laughs> yeah. are way too far apart, like well separated <laughs> breasts beyond out of control. Yeah. I think, I think that's something that's commonly pointed out with like a Pat Lee designed Optimus prime. Like, like what basically, what are those? Like, why are they there? Why does he have those giant white frames around why, the window? Why, yeah, why are they so yeah. pronounced? You, you know what else about that whole two-page interaction? And I don't know if you noticed this, but it's like, okay, I get that, like, Prime's waking up, so the buildings look kind of, like, crooked. But, like, then when everything gets into focus, the buildings are still crooked. And even when he's standing hmm. up next to Spike, the buildings are still fucking crooked like there's it's like a it's like a fisheye lens yeah, kind of thing but it's yeah. like it's yeah. like i get it if it's like from prime's perspective like okay fine that's prime's eyes but like we're not prime on that second page so why are the buildings all like mitzelplick wobbly or whatever like it's i don't know it's like that kind of well did they just reuse it did they just uh, yeah, reuse I mean, the art clearly the art's just reused like yeah just used oh it wow and like that's like you want to see yeah, a... not a good a good way to do that you know you want to see a blatant one um go to it's the pages where prime's like on his knees face down right and um oh gosh i don't even know how to describe it. so it starts off with san francisco and then you know megatron's like you should be flattered prime i can't do his voice like you can sorry <laughs> so start with that page right oh yeah, yeah you yeah, with yeah. me I'm there. Oh, don't they just reuse that panel like again, like another it's, couple yeah, pages? You gotta flip the page, yeah. yeah, you flip, flip the page, and the top panel of Optimus you know, like looks like he's doing a push-up. Then go to the next page; it's the exact same panel again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's the same thing, just colored with like more smoke. <laughs> yeah, uh, again, you're that's you're not working hard; it's working smart. Right. Yeah. It's like it's like uh, they, the they took the uh, filmation class on uh, reuse or whatever. <laughs> Right. <laughs> just keep rolling the background, and anytime they're gonna interact with a door, just color that door different. That's how you always knew in Scooby Doo that that was the door they were gonna go through because that door was a different color. I, I feel like the counter argument that Optimus Prime brings up to Megatron's like humanity or scum is is a decent one, but I, I also feel like it, it it again reminds me of kind of like that post nine eleven mentality where they specifically wanted to highlight like heroic firefighters and stuff and yeah. they and they they focus on these firefighters and then it's like the three it's like what is it like three fire trucks that make the distraction and it's not just that they like ram the fire trucks into the decepticons but it's also apparently the fire trucks are combustible or whatever and they all fucking <laughs> yeah there's the, the most shit. explosive fire trucks i've ever seen yeah, yeah like... so that's that's kind of funny well, you know, it, it, like you said, it is 2002. It is, you know, very much top of mind 
So no, no, yeah, no, no. I don't, I don't mind that they use those guys as as a a heroic example, but I, I think it's funny that the fire trucks all like you know implode the minute they hit. That's true. You know, it's, it's a typical action trope where it's like, oh, the car just can't like fall off a mountain. No, it's got to like explode when it falls off. That's the true. Now, of all vehicles in the world that you would want to not blow up, a fire truck would be one that you'd <laughs> want to have pretty well protected. I right, suppose that's right. true. Send so only I, our most combustible trucks. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I, I didn't get any comment on you guys, but like, is it just me though? But like, the whole atomic weapons thing, like, really? That like, there's barely, yeah. there's no effect. It's over. And also, check, all, check, all it does is check. That's what happens when you only use one of the keys. It just explodes, but there's no fallout. <laughs> Come on. All all it does is cause a harmless tidal wave that like didn't do anything to the city's infrastructure apparently. Yeah. Or the humans that needed oxygen to breathe. Exactly. Yeah. Don't you know how nuclear missiles work? Oh my god. I know. I'm a fool. I'm a fool. <laughs> I I think I always make fun of this scene and I make fun of it like to at Derek's expense because he loves the aerial bot slingshot. And okay. like every like everyone else like hates Slingshot because Slingshot is well, he was He's, Slingshot was a fucking jerk on the cartoon sling, like no Shag Slingshot is is the Richard Dragon of the aerial bots so oh, so, so 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 okay. everybody else hates him but me so so I know what the joke is the joke is like wh- what did they say on the wiki like why didn't they like, delegate why didn't Super- <laughs> why did Superion have to ram into the missile why couldn't he just delegated that job to Slingshot like he just shoot off. <laughs> shoot off slingshots like limb or whatever and be like collide with that dude and he was like wait what huh (laughs) (laughs) oh the richard dragon reference makes it all crystal clear so any any one of the aerial bots could have like taken that missile out of commission but like superion had to like just collide with it or like i mean even he didn't even have to collide with it he just had to like you know fly up alongside it maybe and like redirect it but you know okay whatever it's like an adult it's like Captain America at the end of the, the, the first Avenger when he's got to fly the ship into the into the Arctic. It's like, really? No, you, you could just set it on course and jump out. You yeah. could land it. You could do any number of things. You don't have to crash that thing. No, no, uh, I really have to. So, yeah. I got to put her in the water. Please, don't do this. We, we have time. We can work it out. Just turn the plane around. I wish I could, but there's just no time. It's just on the cards, you know? What do you mean? Do you not have control of the plane? No, I've got control. Are the bombs set to explode on a timer? Can you not disarm them? I actually got rid of most of them already. They're not even bombs, really. More like these tiny little airplanes with ejector seats and everything. I even flew one. You what? Nothing. You know, they even painted the names of the cities in bright plain English, too. But why do you want it in English, sir? We are German. Do not question my genius! Then why can't you pilot one of the bombs back here before the plane crashes? That sure sounds nice. It's just too late. You turn that plane around right now! Can't do it. You are being absurd! I'm gonna need a rain check on that dance, Peggy. You're not even going to look for a parachute! Something! Just right into the ground! I really wanted to take you dancing. I'm really starting to doubt your interest in this relationship. Oh, I'm so alone up here! With no option of survival, it's so heartbreaking! The plane's going down! You know what? Fine. Crash your stupid plane. Freeze to death if that's what you want. See if I can. It's so sad! I don't want to freeze to death! Thanks for the muscles, but it's too late now! Ah! Do you guys notice the, the G1 trade paperback ad in the back? Yeah. It's got that Cosmo yeah, guy yeah. front and center. What the hell? Yep. <laughs> 
They they knew they knew you didn't know who he was, so they had to put him on the front. I'm I'm, I'm irritated. I am irritated by that. <laughs> hey, when you want to when you want to go in disguise on Earth, like a UFO is like your best bet. Yeah, because, you know, the way I remember Transformers, they land on the planet and they scan everything, right? That's how they decide the shapes they're going to be. They scan everything. Even the Dinobots were come from scans of bones. When did they scan a UFO? Unless they scanned their own arc because they're the UFO people? I Yeah, that didn't work for me. I, I dismiss this character as not existent. <laughs> he's, he's gone from continuity. And I- it is balderdash. You're gonna anger Cosmos's legion of fans. And I'm not even being. I'm not even. I'm not even being sarcastic. Like there are people who like legitimately like love Cosmos. This is terrible. Cosmos has been in worse predicaments. No, I mean worshiping him like he's some kind of god. But uh, speaking of things that don't exist, as I alluded to in the summary, like defense minister, like. Do we have a defense minister in the United States? Like, I think they said it's because, like, Chris Saracini is, like, Canadian, I think. So, like, okay. yeah, right. like, that, that's that, probably why. That would why. explain the, the use of the Canadian military, you know, attacking yeah. Cliffjumper or whatever. But then I guess he's just – I guess it's too bad they couldn't just, I don't know, use, like – I mean, if it's going to be a defense minister, why not just, you know – I don't know, show some Canadian politicians involved in the hijinks, too, or something. I don't know. Well, Canadians are too nice in general. I mean, the fact, the very fact that a Canadian pointed a gun at, at somebody is just like, that wouldn't happen. They'd be <laughs> like, excuse me, I'm sorry, forgive me. Any chance that you could not destroy our country, if you don't mind, if it's not a problem? You know, it'd be more like what it would be. Yeah. And I, I love how, like, these humans are all like hair trigger or whatever. And then like Wheeljack thinks the best way to calm them down is like run at them with a weapon. Like, wait, you guys are making a mistake. Like, Oh my God, the, the giant robots attacking. Like, like, uh, <laughs> and then like all, like all of the others like follow suit. Like as soon as Wheeljack gets shot, like jazz is like raising his gun and running at the humans. And I'm like, dude, that's not the way to like deescalate the situation. <sighs> All my illusions have been shattered. It's it's terrible. I love this comic, and now I now I I'm gonna you know I'm just gonna go in my garage, find the box, and just rip them up. I'm putting them in the blender. <laughs> Done with this shit. I'm, it's, I'm over it. You're gonna be like crying, feeding them into a blender or yeah. something. <laughs> I'm already reaching for the tissues. Jeez. So here's the short pact. It is I, the besterest of comic book artists, superstar Pat the Tans Van Lee. I've taken a break from not paying my employees to announce Superstar, the clothing clothing line. Now you too can dress like you belong to a homosexual Asian porn ring. And this other poor guy is trying to fit into Pat Lee's like line of clothing. He says, I can't fit my other arm in. All our clothes adhere to a rigid, revolutionary, quote-unquote, house style. I think the sleeve is in the wrong place. Every single one is designed by me, Pat Lee, or by one of my underpaid ghost designers. There's two buttons and nine buttonholes on this thing. I'll go great with my Rob Liefeld three-legged pants. I'll see you in bankruptcy. The most disturbing thing about it is um, in the third panel when Pat Lee's pinching his nipples. That's, uh, that's kind of weird. You know why that is? Like, where's... where's... I, I don't yeah, know that I want to know. Link him to the TF Wiki okay. page for Pat Lee. Like, that's like... Oh, no. If you want to get the douche shivers. Like... Okay. okay. Awesome. Oh, here we go. Thank you. Thank you for all of this. Okay. So this this is where this is where that, that comic strip comes from. That if you look at his profile picture on strength and honor to the right or whatever 
Like that's oh goodness, that's actually him. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Enjoy. Read up. But yeah, Mr. Mecca, Patitious, Transman, Superstar Artist, Mr. <laughs> Talented. Those are all his nicknames. So yeah. <laughs> that that page is like a wealth of information <laughs> on what like like the whole situation shag like if you want to like like see read about that whole sorry dreamwave situation like that that his page is like beautiful like for that i will definitely read it i, I purposely avoided all news beforehand because derek told me there was going to be a story i didn't want to get spoiled and uh now now it's all come to light and it's a very very sad sad tale and it makes me sad because i liked these comics they were fun and it sounds like you guys liked them when they first came out too yeah like i said this i if i can give this credit for anything it's getting me back into comics and like permanently back into comics because once i i started going to the comic store again to pick these issues up i was like well i might as well like start reading you know see what else you know see what this ultimate spider-man thing is all about and like you know and then i was kind of like oh now let me go back to see if like amazing spider-man is like good again now that like howard mackie is off it and i was like oh yeah it's you know it's better like and then, you know, I, I never got away from comics after that. So now also, to be fair, you know, after Dreamwave went belly up, IDW got the license fairly soon after that, if I remember right. Yeah. Uh, like so a year it, after. OK, so it's kind of fair to say other than that law where the where the license is in question, thanks to this Dreamwave series. I mean, we've had an almost unbroken run of Transformers comics now for what, uh, 16 yep. years. Is that fair to say? Yeah, more or less. Yep. I mean that's pretty impressive. And, and there were even in that in that uncertain period between Dreamwave and IDW, uh, Devils Do was was still producing Transformers and GI Joe crossover comics. So like they they had part of the license, I guess. So like they they, they were it's, it was unbroken. Like there was no like there was a lull, but there were there were still Transformers comics coming out. As you said, amongst those five thousand GI Joe Transformers comics that they published that I bought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, and it's like and like as as we record this, like the IDW main G one like continuity is supposedly coming to a close at the end of this year, and they're gonna like reboot it next year. So I think the IDW continuity might be the second longest running like consecutive Transformers continuity ever now. Like maybe mm. after like Marvel Comics. Like, cause let me see, like. Um, they got the license in 2005 or six, I think, and it's 2018. So then, and then Marvel started in 1984, and let's say like G2 was the end of that, which was what, Derek? 1992? Yeah. Yeah. So That's IDW. Only... Yeah, IDW might be the longest running Transformers continuity at this I point. Mean, if you, if, if, well, if you just if yeah. you excise G2 when it just ended with issue 80, you know, and some of the UK stuff, then it'd probably be a little shorter than the, the 12 years we're thinking. So, yeah. Yeah. But, wow. You know, I mean, like, I, I, the Dreamwave era, like I said, is a very, like, odd era to, like, you know, analyze and, like, talk about. And, like, you know, we, we this is only the, the very top, the very bottom of the iceberg the tip of the iceberg the i guess the <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the tip of the iceberg i guess i was like i was gonna say the top of the iceberg the bottom of the iceberg no it's the i'm tip like of who the are you pat lee superstar <laughs> superstar mr talented trans man mr mecca <laughs> oh my gosh uh, oh wow 
Strength and honor. So yeah, I, I feel like I like that. That was that thing. Like the day I discovered this wiki page and like read all this stuff, and and the more stuff I learned on the Botok forums about Pat Lee every day, like that was that was kind of my discovery into this, and I I just wanted to share Shag. Like that's that was my you wanted that, to bring that was my ultimate goal. I just I just wanted to you know inform and 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 expand your horizons in in the world of superstar artist pat lee so once again you, as i said you wanted to crush and destroy <laughs> my spark i i feel the spark going out i feel my skin is turning to that mottled gray color rather than the multicolor and it's it's happening so wow thanks guys i really appreciate this there's just one more picture I want you to see, Shay, oh, and then we'll, we'll leave you alone. But <laughs> this is like we we talk about, you know, how he does like the forced perspective, but like pe- even people were like kind of criticizing that. So like here's here's a comparison shot. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor uh, we're, we're showing we're showing the Optimus Prime from the cover of issue one, where he's like kind of got his hand and it's obscuring the rest of his torso. So yeah. someone like erased the hand and showed how his torso would look if the hand wasn't there. <laughs> and he yeah. like, kind of has like a giraffe neck and like yeah. This is very much the uh, Rob Life of yeah. Captain America oh, picture yeah, right totally, there, totally, Derek. Totally, very totally, much so. Totally. Yeah. So that's. <laughs> I mean, so that's now you've the, even now you've even ruined issue one. Which we didn't really start bashing on until issue four. Now you've ruined issue one. Uh, <sighs> we're glad we're glad we could ruin this for you. Thank you so very much. Ugh. Now you're going to tell me something like Santa Claus isn't real and the Easter Bunny isn't either because you just want to ruin all my childhood no, passions no, no. and loves. So thank you. So yeah, Pat Lee, Pat Lee killed them because <laughs> he's Mr. Talented <laughs> Mr. Yeah, Talented right. Pat Lee bankrupted the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus it's, you know uh, <laughs> yeah, he didn't pay them, them there yeah, so now, exactly. they're, now, they're just, now they're destitute yeah uh, alright well I, I think this will probably wrap up the, the show for Transformers Tuesdays but we do really want to thank you Shag for coming on like this has been great like uh, I know we've we've crushed your spark and we're not necessarily sorry about that but we're happy you you placed the care of your spark in our in our grubby little hands and uh yeah it's been really nice to have you on the show do you want to share with the listeners if they've enjoyed listening to your dulcet tones like where they may find you out there on the interwebs sure absolutely uh first off let me say uh you two are both evil bastard decepticons and uh (laughs) i suppose thank you for having me on just to just to make me look miserable so thanks for that i guess um i am the irredeemable shag you can find me as part of the fire and water podcast network we have a plethora of shows over there that i'm involved with some of them including our our i guess you could call it our our um our founding show, which is about Aquaman and Firestorm. Uh, I know a very weird pairing. Most people are like, why? But it just made sense at the time. But since then, we've got shows on uh, Who's Who. We've got you know DC's Invasion. We've got Justice League International, the Boahaha era. We've got uh, shows on Bob Dylan. We've got shows on other comics that you love. I mean, anything you can imagine in the realm of comic books, we've got. We've even got shows on like MASH, the TV show. So definitely check it out, the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Uh, I would love to see you guys over there. Stop by the forums, uh, or I'm sorry, the, our page, and definitely in the comments. Be sure to tell Derek why he's wrong about everything, because he's just made life miserable for me. All right, awesome. <laughs> and then I guess this will wrap us up. So if you've enjoyed listening to Fan Holes, Transformers Tuesdays, please consider checking out all of our other spinoff shows. We've got a bunch of other shows, including Mobile Suit Mondays, 
Sentai Saturdays, Toku Thursdays. We've got a new podcast that I think Shag would be keen on. It's Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast. We've, we've got our own comic-specific podcast, Comics Motherfucker, Do You Read Them?, where we talk about comics. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. And, of course, we still do, ever occasionally, the Fanholes proper podcast, where it's kind of a catch-all, and we talk about whatever kind of geeky pop culture thing is on our brains at the time and we can be streamed on stitcher radio and itunes we of course appreciate all the feedback and likes and shares and retweets on all the cool social media we're on facebook tumblr twitter instagram etc and until the next time this is going to be derek derek wc uh rolling out throwing feces truck not monkey signing off Hey, it's Mike, and my limbs are like marshmallows and metal cracks like glass. <laughs> so are you guys still doing Hentai Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> Shh, they're not supposed to know about it's that on one. the dark web. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> If I start talking a mile a minute, feel free to interrupt me, Mikey. Like if I make a point and then move on to the next one, and you want to comment on it, just bust right in there. Don't don't be okay. polite because that doesn't work with me. No problem. I'll just uh, trigger an air horn into my mic. Like <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, I exactly. Have a point. I have a point. Or, no. or just go prime, and that'll be enough. You know, right? Prime. I, I have the the Omega Conch or whatever it is that gives me the right of way with speech. All right, there. so so we'll um I, I I'm I'm taping this as a backup, but are you are you taping this too? Yeah, much? I'm I'm recording it as okay, well. Yeah. Cool. Like, All right. I might I might actually ask for your backup just because I don't know like Pamela still records, but I told you it it sometimes like picks me up even though I'm muted. So it's mm. like I think I'm muted and I'm coughing and sneezing right. in the back, and then, and then and there's it comes up the on the recording. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. because I you know I, I'm. Sorry, this is just business stuff, but it's like I'm impressed that your Pamela works at all. Like I gave up on it like <laughs> years ago, and there's like this funny Facebook post where they're like, "Guess what? We fixed it!" And everybody's like, "Fuck you! We've moved on to like other podcasting recording devices." Like everybody was like all mad on that Facebook page that I you followed. have fixed nothing. Yeah, everybody's like, <laughs> "Are you crazy?" Like, yeah. So well, if it turns out to be any need down the line, I also looks like I'm recording as well on okay. my MP3 Skype recorder. So yeah, cool. All right, good to have back. And I will uh, edit those to uh, incriminate both of you in some FBI. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah.
Yeah. You're going to do an expose, the secrets of fan holes revealed. Exactly. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like we have plenty of incriminating stuff on the podcast. As <laughs> you're not actual. Yeah, you don't have to edit out the good <laughs> stuff. That's right. <laughs> uh, Behind right. the fan hole.